the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, when they call you a talk legend, you know what they're really saying, don't you? Dave Ellswick, old fart. I mean, that's all, that's really all they're saying. The only way you get to be a legend is you live a long time. Now, I haven't even lived that long. I mean, I'm just 66 years old. Not like I'm ancient. You know what I'm saying? I'm not close to being like Thanos and turning into, you know, ash and blowing away or whatever. That's not going to happen. I I just get a kick out of that uh, talk legend. This just cracks me up. All right. Ira Melman, one of my buddies, joining us from El Paso. He's down on the border. He's live at the border and checking things out and putting an eyeball on it. He is from, of course, FAIR, where I go to when we do uh, keep their uh, feet to the fire every year. And Ira, how are you doing down there? Are you sweating? It's it's pretty warm down here. It's nice to <laughs> one legend to another here. <laughs> yeah, we're both legends, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very funny. Hey, what what are you seeing uh, along the border? How bad is it? Is it the crisis everybody uh, uh, talks about, or is it as Democrats say, it ain't no big deal? It's a nothing burger. It, it is a crisis. And if you talk to the people down here who are in law enforcement, both at the federal and at the local level, uh, they will tell you that this is a crisis. And it's largely a crisis that is the result of Congress's refusal to correct problems that, that are evident to everybody. Uh, the political asylum system is so easily defrauded uh, that you have people coming up making um false claims for political asylum, knowing that the system is so backed up. There's no place to hold people. They're simply letting them go, uh, saying, you know, please come back in, you know, a couple of years for a hearing. Uh, (laughs) There is, yeah, essentially that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, You know, the the bar for getting into the system is incredibly low. Uh, You have families coming up with children because you have a judge that essentially ruled that children are get-out-of-jail-free cards. The problems are evident to the people who are dealing with this on a daily basis. Uh, you know, the, we spent time with the sheriff of Hudspeth County, which is one county east of here. Uh, he's saying that 95 99% of what his department has to deal with are crimes committed by people who are not residents of that county. Uh, it is creating a crime problem. Uh, people are running drugs through there because the border is so wide open. Uh, the Border Patrol has to be pulled away from other sections of the border to deal with the flood of asylum seekers who are uh, defrauding the system. So it, it's just it's kind of like a whack-a-mole. You, you try to go after one area of the border and another one pops right up. And this is all the result of Congress's refusal to act in a responsible way to correct problems. Yeah, bottom line, when we say Congress, that's what we mean. Both parties of Congress have let this get to where it is now. 
that's absolutely true. The Republicans had full control of Congress for two years. They didn't deal with this problem. Uh, now that the Democrats have control of the House of Representatives and, you know, they're just basically denying that there's a problem, uh, that's even less likely to happen. But the American public needs to have somebody step up there and say, you know, we've got to do what put partisan differences aside. We've got to do what is in the best interests of the country, uh, but so far there doesn't seem to be any move in that direction. Yeah, what is it about this that uh, neither party understands that the American people are basically fit to be tied about this, Ira? I mean, the people we hear from that talk about, every, you know, borders should be wide open and the people who are saying that we should send everybody back are the, the, the ends of the bookcase, all right? The people who basically are center right, which America is, are saying, get this crap under control. But it's like they don't they think that they're somehow going to get voted out of office if they do get it under control. Well, they're not. I mean, if you look at the recent polls, there was a Gallup poll out last week that said that 41 percent of Republican voters uh, think this is the most important issue. Uh, if you look at the population, the voting population generally, uh, it is still the, t- the leading issue for most Americans. They understand what is at stake here. Uh, even Nancy Pelosi should have some political uh, instincts to tell her this is a good issue. She is speaker today, not because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Ilan Omar got elected. She is speaker today because a lot of uh, formerly Republican districts got flipped in the last election. And people in those districts believe that we need to secure our borders, that we need to end the asylum abuse. So there should be some political consensus here. And yet you, you have the radical fringes that are driving the agenda. You pointed out, you know, the, on the Democratic side, you have the abolish ice wing. Uh, they seem to be driving the, the Republican, the Democratic Party. Uh, the Republicans can't seem to get their act together. Yeah. All right. So are, are you hearing the stories that I have heard that you have people who cross the border and they look for Border Patrol agents and it's like a, a, a husband and a wife and a kid and they go, hey. You know, we're here. We'd like to get a date so that we can stand in front of a judge. You know, we want to find we want to live in a, in America, land of, uh, you know, milk and honey or whatever. Uh, that's ex- yeah. Is that is that exactly how it's working? Yeah, that, that's exactly what they're telling us is that, you know, if they don't if the Border Patrol doesn't find the people, the people find the Border Patrol. Uh, you know, except, of course, if they're running drugs. But in the meantime, the Border Patrol agents are all tied up, uh, you know, babysitting families with little children. Uh, they're, they're doing all sorts of things. <clears throat> so you have, on the one hand, you know, the families that are taking advantage of the fact that they know that they're going to be released uh, almost immediately. And then, you know, tying up the resources of the Border Patrol. And then you have the drug dealers taking advantage of the wide open border to do their thing. So, uh, you know, we're, we're getting it on both ends here. And it, again, it, it is something that can be stopped if Congress were willing to do its job. But there is no indication that they're willing to do their job right now. All right. So you tell us, because this is what I always depend on you to do for me, Ira. Tell us what Congress needs to do. They need to stop the asylum abuse, raise the bar on what constitutes uh, incredible fear. Uh, right now, you can say, you know, uh, I'm a, my, there's violence in my country. Well, you know, there's violence in just about every country. 
they need to overrule a single judge who said that if you show up here with children, even if they're your own children, we're not going to be able to hold you as a family unit for more than 20 days, in which case children become get-out-of-jail-free cards. We need to change the uh, a well-intended law to prevent human trafficking that says any minor who shows up at the border uh, who isn't from Canada or Mexico is going to be treated as a presumptive trafficking victim and given you know, a full opportunity to tie up our judicial system. So we've got to stop people from using our legal system against us, and that's essentially what's happening right now. Uh, they have paralyzed the legal system. They have flooded the zone, and everybody knows that they're going to be walking in a few days. So basically what we've got is a Piven strategy here. If you overload the system, you break the system, and then there is no system. Exactly. And that is what is happening. The system is collapsing under its own weight right here. Uh, Congress knows this. They're not, you know, they're not ignorant. They know it and they just don't act. Yeah, that, you know, this is crazy. I, I, I was down on the border back during the Bush administration on the King Anvil Ranch in Arizona with the Minutemen at that time. Where are the Minutemen? Are they not helping out the Border Patrol this time around or did they... They do their their opportunity back in the in uh, the early two thousands and say, what good did it do? Well, you know, the, the, there are these sort of militia groups, uh, but they're not being helpful. Uh, you know, we can't have people running around making arrests uh, who aren't duly empowered law enforcement officers. What they need is more border patrol officers and more support from Congress. Uh, We shouldn't have to rely on citizen groups to do this. Uh, What we need is for our Congress, for our elected representatives to represent our interests. Isn't it amazing that the president can meet with Pelosi and Schumer and they can come to an agreement on $2 trillion for infrastructure and they still can't come to an agreement on just a few billion dollars for the border? It is, and that that is infrastructure, and it would save us an awful lot. You know, if we put up that border fence, uh, you know, here in El Paso, there is a border fence, and it works extremely effectively. You go 30 miles east, it is wide open. Uh, We're paying $135 billion a year for uh, services and benefits to illegal aliens and their dependents. We might as well spend that money on a one-time basis and get that wall up there so that we don't have to uh, incur these downstream costs. Can you explain to my listeners, because they hear the story all the time that illegals can't get government assistance when, in fact, they get it all the time? They do. If they have U.S.-born kids, uh, they can get it. Uh, and even if they're not getting direct assistance, you know, the health care, uh, we're not letting people die in the streets. Kids have to get education. Uh, all of those things are cost a lot of money. Uh, most of the government benefits we get don't come in the form of a check with our name on it. It, it is just money that is spent on us uh, out of general revenues. It, it, how much do you have a, a ballpark? How much does that cost in our nation? One hundred and thirty-five billion a year. So you know, if we spent the full twenty-five billion to build the border wall, that's a one-time investment. It's a fraction of what we're paying each year. Uh, to pay the costs of people who who are in the country illegally. So after, how long have you been there now? I know that you were going down for maybe a week or whatever. So We've been here uh, just two days. Two days, okay. You've been down there on the border many times. Is it the worst you've ever seen it? It it is. It it is because there, you know, it's not that, uh, you know, 
the border enforcement people don't want to enforce the law. It's reached a point where they simply can't enforce it because the law has become unenforceable uh, for the reasons we talked about. Amazing. So do you see anything changing anytime soon, or is it just going to be the same old, same old, same old? Well, in the, you know, until Congress is prepared to act, and the only way they're going to act is if the American people force them to, um, we're kind of stuck with the status quo. So we've got to get Congress to to get off the dime and do something. Yeah, we got a you know a red state here in Arkansas, and you got um, I'm going to have on Congressman Hill uh, later on this afternoon, and he's firm on the border, and Senators Bozeman and Senator Cotton are firm on the border. So is the rest of our congressional delegation. So what does a person from Arkansas do? We can only ask our own elected officials to do things. Sounds to me that. Uh, there's specific states that need to target their elected officials. Is that the case? Well, that's certainly the case. But look, I mean, you, you've got to start locally. You're, you know, if your elected officials in Arkansas are doing their job, uh, you know, then they maybe they need to kind of lean on some of their colleagues from elsewhere. Uh, but it's got to start somewhere. Uh, you know, just because Arkansas is a relatively small state doesn't mean you don't have a voice. You just got to, you know, start with where you are and move on from there. Well, I'll make you happy. Can I, I'll get, I'm going to tell you something that should make you smile. You ready? This I'm last ready. last legislative session, our uh, state uh, senators and, and state house members, state representatives, passed the sanctuary city bill saying no sanctuary cities in Arkansas. That's right. We, we've been following that, and it did a great job on their part. And, um, you know, it, it just shows you can do things at the local level. Well, and and I agree because it didn't look like it was going to come, uh, come up, and I was kind of pushing on it, and uh, sure enough, it popped up. Uh, Senator Stubblefield brought forth the bill, and it ran into a few snags, and the snags were ironed out, and they passed it. And because, and I think yeah. the big part of it was Ira Little Rock had put uh, forth a hundred and eighty thousand dollars for. Uh, ID cards. They had they had uh, dispensed eleven hundred ID cards uh, for people, and all it said is, uh, you know, I'm Yehus or something, you know, and uh, it, it's and and that's a danger to all of the people in Little Rock. So uh, that got everybody's attention. Nobody was hearing that. That got everybody's attention. Hey, listen, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, have a taco down there on me because that's good stuff down there. They get great Tex-Mex food down in El Paso. I will. I'll send you the receipt. Okay, you do that. I'll see. I'll see you <laughs> right. in September. You have a good one now. Thanks. Mm, bye bye. All right, Ira Melman from Fair FairUS.org. That's the way you keep up on what's happening on the border. We talk to people that are down there, and they'll give you an eyewitness account of what's going on down there, and then uh, you know Fair US. Dot org is the best organization I've worked with, and I've worked with them for well over 15 years uh, dealing with the illegal problem here in uh, our country. Stick with me. We've got more coming your way. Don't forget, at 3.30, Congressman Hill will be on. 3 o'clock, Michael Joyce will join us. Uh, he's the Republican National Committee Deputy Press Secretary. He'll be talking about uh, A.G. Barr's uh, hearing today which I, I've been kind of watching on and off uh, during the day. And nothing new, folks, just a waste. 
continued waste of money is what's going on. A con- already, it was already when the report came in, they stopped the ticker, right? And it was at thirty-five million dollars. Now it's rolling again. Before this is all over, I bet you they spend over a hundred million dollars on this crap, and that's exactly what it is. I thought uh, Barr was good today when he said, "Would you people please stop politicizing the justice system in America?" We'll take a break. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Here's a great one for you. You know, like I told you, we're going to talk to Michael Joyce here in the uh, the next hour uh, about uh, uh, the uh, Attorney General uh, Barr hearing that is going on in the Senate. Uh, and Michael Joyce is with the RNC. He's the Deputy Press Secretary. Uh, I want to talk to him about the hearing. And during the hearing today... Uh, Barr said that he will probe whether the Clinton campaign's payments to a company using a former British spy who collected the uh, the information that went in that dossier from Russian sources amounted to collusion. Testifying to senators uh, today, Barr expanded on the scope of the review he says he's conducting into the activities over the summer of 2016, which included these uh, damaging, ugly, anti-Trump FBI employees making uh, key decisions on Hillary Clinton and President Trump. But under questioning from Senator Grassley, the uh, Senate senior Republican, Mr. Barr also said he'll look at the Clinton campaign's payments to facilitate the so-called Steele dossier, the salacious, mostly unverified, and in some cases disproved set of documents that helped spur the Trump-Russia collusion narrative. Quote, that's something that I am reviewing, Mr. Barr, told the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Campaign made payments hidden in campaign finance documents behind a law firm to Fusion GPS, a Democratic research firm that uh, paid former British spy Christopher Steele to probe Mr. Uh, Trump. Mr. Steele produced the dossier that claimed secret meetings between uh, Trump campaign figures and Russian operatives and suggested salacious events such as black Uh, Male-style tapes of a Trump encounter with prostitutes and golden showers in a Moscow hotel, both of those were all discredited. Mr. Grassley said it was ironic that Mr. Trump has now been cleared of conspiracy with Russia to subvert the 2016 election, but the Clinton campaign, who hired a foreign national, Mr. Steele, who relied on information that had been planted by Russia, hasn't faced the same scrutiny. And Grassley said, quote, and I'm going to quote this for you, that's the definition of collusion, unquote. Mr. Barr said he doesn't yet have conclusions, but said there is a real possibility that Russia used Mr. Steele as part of its disinformation campaign. That is one of the areas that I'm reviewing. I'm concerned about it, and I don't think it's entirely speculative, he said. 
Senator Richard Durbin, Illinois, mocked the GOP's lines of inquiry, saying Mrs. Clinton's emails, her handling of the 2012 terrorist attack at the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, and other questions were old news. Well, so is Trump in in collusion now. After the Mueller report was closed, it's old news, Senator. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back. We'll talk uh, more about what's going on with all of this when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. But i got to get you some news. Let's bring you up right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, i got to think that uh, this whole deal, uh, dealing with uh, Barr now saying that he wants to begin looking at uh, Hillary Clinton and the DNC and all of the money that has been spent uh, for uh, the Mueller report and that Clinton has never been looked at. As Grassley said, this is a perfect definition of collusion. You know, her... They paid money using campaign funds. DNC did the same. They went kind of a backdoor way, used a foreign national to go up and dig dirt up on the president. And where did he go? Russia. Now, if you want collusion, there's a perfect example of collusion. And all the stuff that came out, you know, that, you know, a Clinton was taking golden showers and all that kind of stuff with prostitutes and everything. Yeah. I think that needs to be looked at real close. You know, I think if you took up a collection and asked Americans if they, if they would throw $2 into the pot to see, let that to be looked at, I bet you'd have more money than you need at this, you know, more money than you can, you can shake a stick at. Uh, to to see get that truth out. I still want to see her in an orange jumpsuit. I really do. And I, you know, something tells me deep down inside that won't ever happen because it's Hillary Clinton, and there's people in high places that will do everything they can to protect the Clintons because the Clintons got the story on everybody. All right, they know we're all. All, I'm going to repeat that one more time, all the skeletons are uh, are buried. All right, so I told you that Barr accused the Democrats of using criminal justice uh, at federal level as a political weapon. As during the hearings, tempers started flaring. This is Fox News story. Attorney General William Barr fired back at Democrats during a testy Capitol Hill hearing uh, today, suggesting they were using questions about special counsel Mueller's Russia investigation to try to score political points ahead of the 2020 presidential election. Barr said, we have to stop using the criminal justice process as a political weapon. Barr said that during a back and forth with Connecticut Democratic Senator Dick Blumenthal, you know, you know, Senator, you know, Dick Blumenthal, the one that said all the things that he did while he served in Vietnam 
except that he was never in Vietnam and everybody just gives him a free pass on it. There's been people had their lives destroyed because of stolen valor. And that's what Dick uh, Blumenthal has done. He's never even apologized for that crap. Yeah, you don't believe me. Do the research. It's there. He told everybody he went to Vietnam. He didn't go. The exchange was one of several heated moments during the first hearing since the uh, the release of the Mueller report. Uh, Blumenthal told Barr, quote, I think history will judge you harshly and uh, accused him of using his summary of Mueller's probe to exonerate Trump of obstruction of justice. The senator called Barr the fall guy for this report. Barr replied back to Blumenthal. Now, if it had been me, I looked at Blumenthal and say, what I said is just as true, if not more true, than what you said about Vietnam. That would have shut him up. He wouldn't have nothing thing to say. He don't want to. He doesn't want to go there. Whenever that comes up, he gets quiet and he goes, runs away and goes, sits in a corner and sucks his thumb. I didn't exonerate anyone. Barr replied, "I said that we did not believe that there was sufficient evidence to establish obstruction." He continued. The job of the Justice Department is now over. The report is now in the hands of the American people. Everyone can decide for themselves. There's an election in 18 months. That's a very democratic process. But we're out of it. But the clashes with senators only escalated from there during the final couple hours of the hearing as partisan tensions flared and Barr's impatience with the line of questioning began to show. Minutes later, one of my favorite uh, brain-dead senators of the Democrats, Hawaii Senator Hirono, accused Barr of lying to Congress and told him he should resign. Quote, Mr. Barr, now the American people know that you are no different from Rudy Giuliani or Kelly Ann Conway or any of other people who sacrificed their once decent reputations for the grifter and liar who sits in the, in the Oval Office. Eventually, the Republican chairman of the committee, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, stepped in to cut Hirono off. Quote, you slandered this man to top to bottom, Graham told the Hawaii senator. Another Republican senator, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, told Barr he was being subjected to Kavanaugh-level slander by the Democrats in reference to the highly contentious hearings last year of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. In another dramatic moment, Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley lambasted the anti-Trump text messages between former FBI employees Lisa Page and Pete Strzok, telling Barr, that's why we're sitting here today. An unelected official in this government has open disdain for Trump voters, then tries to overturn the results of a Democratic election. That's the story here today. Hawley added, I can't believe a top official would try to exercise their own prejudices. That's the real crisis here. Barr, meanwhile, told the panel he's actively looking into the origins of the Russia probe, probe saying he's working with 
FBI Director Chris Wray to reconstruct what went down. Earlier, Barr testified that he was surprised Mueller didn't come to a conclusion over whether Trump obstructed justice. Quote, we didn't understand exactly why the special counsel was not reaching a decision, Barr told the Senate Judiciary Committee. Barr also defended his decision to release a summary of Mueller's findings before later releasing a redacted version of the report. He suggested the full report would have been released sooner if Mueller's team had cooperated with their request to identify sensitive grand jury material from the start. Story from Alex Pappas uh, at Fox News. Interesting uh, back and forth at times with Barr today. And, and Barr's not the kind of guy to back down. I mean, he's a, he's a pit bull. He really is. He goes after these folks. Uh, he also told uh, the Senate today, he told the lawmakers that the Department of Justice has, quote, multiple criminal leak investigations, unquote, underway in response to unauthorized media contact by department officials during the special counsel's Russia investigation. Barr, who was testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee, was asked by Senator Grassley, Republican Iowa, about what he called a culture of unauthorized media contact during both the Hillary Clinton email probe and the Russia investigation. Quote, leaks undermine the ability of investigators to investigate. Further leaks to the papers while Congress's questions to the department go unanswered is unacceptable, said Grassley. What are you doing to investigate unauthorized media contacts by the department and FBI officials during the Russian investigation. Barr replied, we have multiple criminal leak investigations underway, but wouldn't elaborate further. Barr has said previously that he is open to investigating the department's behavior during the investigation into Russia interference in the 2016 election and has taken steps towards doing that. He announced last month that he was reviewing the origins of the probe at the FBI and the Justice Department and controversially said that spying occurred in 2016. I think spying did occur, he said. This is quoting from him now. The question is whether it was adequately predicted. I think it's my obligation. Congress is usually very concerned with intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies staying in their proper lane. He noted that spying on a political campaign is a big deal. I think that they need to find these people who were making all these leaks. I mean, there was, you'll remember at the beginning of the Trump administration's uh, start of, of uh, their four years in the white, the white house, there, the kinds of leaks that were being done was ridiculous. There was new leaks springing up every day. And as far as I'm concerned, that's prosecution-style leaks. They should be prosecuted and get to cool their heels in jail for a while. Maybe it starts slowing this kind of stuff up. All right, let's take a break. 
Got to get this in, uh, our last break for this hour. Uh, don't forget, coming up in the next hour, Michael Joyce will join us, RNC Deputy Press Secretary. He'll talk more about what we've been talking about this half hour, about uh, A.G. Barr and the hearing today uh, up at the Senate. And then at 335, we'll hear from Congressman Hill, and I'm sure he'll have something to say about the bar hearings as well when he joins us. It's all here, right on the Dave Ellswick Show. Whether you're listening on the radio or you're watching on Facebook, we got Facebook working perfectly tonight, uh, today. So, uh, you know, look in if you so choose. And uh, we've got more coming your way over the next uh, three hours. All right, since we're going to have Michael Joyce uh, the Republican National Committee Deputy Press Secretary on when we come back after the news at the top of the hour. I'm going to let up on the uh, bar hearing now and let him talk about it next hour. And then, of course, we got uh, Congressman Hill that'll be talking uh, about this as well in the 3.35 to 4 o'clock half hour. So let me just, you know, it amazes me how many people get um, what's it? Envious of other people's success. And is it not amazing to you, uh, Zach, about how many people are framing ugliness about how much Robert Downey Jr. is making by making movies for Marvel? Yeah. I mean, he made his first Marvel movie in 2008. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Since then, he's been raking in the cash. This is a story on on Fox, and it just blows my mind uh, the way they, they're presenting this. Uh, you know, he's raking in the cash, that money-grubbing, greedy guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, with the tremendous success of the final Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Avengers Endgame, Iron Man himself is on pace to make the biggest salary of his long career. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the 54-year-old actor made around $75 million for Infinity War because of a very unique financial arrangement he made with Marvel Studios' head. Uh, And here's my thing. A lot of people, a lot of actors do this. Uh, they take a paycheck plus a percentage. That's not that's not rare for her to talk about this and a very unique finance. It's not unique. Gra- Tom Cruise been doing that for years, man. I mean, it, it's if you can make the movies that people want to come and see, and you make studios a lot of money, you will too make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Downey Jr. gets. Uh, Back in pay, which means he gets a percentage of the film's box office success after it's released. Infinity War made more than $2 billion worldwide, while Endgame earned more than $1.2 billion in its first weekend. So it's safe to say the final check for Iron Man will be massive. The star also negotiated a staggering $5 million a day for three days of work on the 2017 blockbuster Spider-Man Homecoming. How much did that 
make? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't. It was close to a billion dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Look under box office mojo, would you? And just see what it says. Um, Other MCO stars who stand to make huge paydays are Scarlett Johansson and her standalone Black Widow movie. She's reportedly getting $20 million to make that film. Meanwhile, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans reportedly renegotiated their salaries for Infinity War and Endgame, and and both are making around $20 million per movie. Fans will also now be seeing more. Are you ready for this? Here you go. Elizabeth Olsen, who played Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. Anthony Mackie, who played Falcon. Sebastian Stand, the Winter Soldier, and Jeremy Renner, who played Hawkeye, because they all have new deals for TV series mm. on uh, Disney's soon-to-launch streaming service. There's also discussions about Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther, and Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, returning in sequels to their original movies, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is set to start filming next year. But here's my here's the catch I want to bring in. If a movie makes $1.2 billion in five days, going to make billions of dollars more. Yeah. Do you really think that the movie studio has a problem paying, uh, you know, maybe three quarters of a billion dollars in salaries. I, I don't think they care. They just have, they're just happy to be making so much money. Yeah. They're rolling in the money. Exactly. Of course, if you're somebody like, uh, you know, the, uh, the old socialist that there in the, in the Senate Sanders, <laughs> did you hear what he said that they should do with their money? What? They should invest it in the infrastructure of America. What I mean is, <laughs> I had to laugh. <laughs> He's such a freaking socialist. The government, what he'd like to say, the government should take their money. That's what he wants to say, but he doesn't dare do it because if he wants to make sure he's not going to get elected at all yeah. or have a chance of even running for president, he doesn't dare say stuff like that well you definitely would be able to pay for a lot of free scholarships with that money i mean <laughs> just free stuff did, you, did i show you my shirt my shirt today no i haven't seen you, it i'll show you my shirt here you see it says freedom not free stuff that's a great shirt when did yeah. you get it my buddies sent it to me yeah i like that i like that shirt yeah it's a good shirt see for you watching on uh on Facebook, mm-hmm. there it is. You can see it. Everybody remembers uh, when I was speaking on the steps of the Capitol to all the people back in 2010 running for office, and I told them that we expected them to uphold the principles that we we're going to put them in office. Because yeah. I, I reminded them if. We can put you in and we can take you out as well. But I was wearing a shirt that said socialism on it. You've seen the picture. Yes, I have. With a guy holding a bag of money and another person 
with a gun at his head. Yeah. Now that is the perfect definition <laughs> of socialism as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I will fight to my last dying breath to, to try to curb back socialism in our country because, hey, look, we got our country is is rife. It's been infected with socialism now. You know, all these millennials. I'm not saying all of them. I'm going to say all of them, but a, a large majority thinks they should get everything free, free college. They should pay if they've gone to college. They need to have their college loans paid by us and all the rest. You know what I say to you? Sit down, shut up, get a job, and get on with your life. It's just not the way it should be done, and uh, hopefully it won't get done that way. Well, by the way, Spider-Man Homecoming made $880 million. Okay, almost a billion bucks. Yep. So what's $15 million to them? Some change. Yeah. Hey, you know, unbelievable. So all of you that get envious about that, go to Hollywood, take your chance, and you can uh, perhaps make the same kind of money Robert Downey Jr. is if you're talented enough. Right. Remember, he pulled himself out of the gutter to get where he is today. All right, a break. News is next, and I'm back with Michael Joyce, RNC Press Secretary. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show, waiting for our call here any moment from Michael Joyce, who is the... um, Republican National Committee's press secretary to talk to us about the uh, AG hearing today up and uh, in front of the uh, wonderful world of of uh, the Senate today, and it got kind of heated during the meeting today. So um, just keeping uh, keeping in mind that we're supposed to have that coming in any moment i just texted our uh, contact at uh republican national committee headquarters saying haven't gotten a call from michael yet and uh, we're expecting to hear from him anytime uh 335 we should hear from uh, congressman hill and he'll be talking to us uh, about that and a whole lot of other things that he would like to discuss uh, today. So that's uh, that's coming our way here in uh, just a few moments, I'm sure. Um, let me get down here and take a look here real quickly and see what it is that the um, congressman is looking forward to talking about today. I thought I had a my list, I, I I keep a list, I really do, on my phone. And so I'm looking now to see everything here that I need to know about, and I'm not seeing it. So look at look at it here in just uh, a few moments and, and see what's uh, what's coming about all of this. So did you check did you see the uh, report about uh, track athletes with um or female track track athletes with male t- testosterone levels that can't compete inside other races with other females? Did you see about that? Oh no, I hadn't seen that during the break. I was reading a uh, article. Oops, I was reading an article to uh uh Zach and uh, it was an article 
from PJ Media that I get uh, updates from. And a trans woman, now that's a guy that looks like a guy, but says that he identifies as a woman, a very ugly woman, but identifies as a woman, set world records Olympian uh, and an Olympian, uh, I think over in Britain, said it was pointless, unfair, and an, and an unfair playing field. And, I mean, just let me read this to you. It's, I'm sure we'll get our call here in a minute. Sunday, a biological man who identifies as a woman took the Masters World Records for women's squat, women's bench press, and women's deadlift. A female Olympian responded by condemning the pointless, unfair playing field where biological women are beaten by biological men who identify as transgender women. And this guy posted, this this guy, it is not a girl, it's a guy, all right? Posted a, uh, a Twitter picture with this underneath of it. What a day, nine for nine. Masters world squat record, open world bench record, Masters world deadlift record, and Masters world total record. Um, calls himself Mary Gregory. Gregory, thank the Raw Powerlifting Fo- uh, Foundation. And uh, it's just disgusting. I'm sorry. It's freaking disgusting. This is disgusting. Here, here. let me tell you something, um, Zach. We're supposed to call these people by the pronouns that they want to be called by, mm-hmm. she or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And we're supposed to do that, and we're being mean if we don't do that. Right. If I had somebody that I knew, and they came up to me and said that they were an animalist and they identified as a gorilla. <laughs> what would most people think of me if I said, hey, I want you to meet my uh, my buddy. He's a gorilla. <laughs> you think people would look at me like I was stupid? There would be awkward silence. Well, I there's an <laughs> awkward silence whenever anybody says this guy is a girl because it's evidently... I'm I'm making I told everybody I would tell everybody my new bumper sticker this year. You know, I haven't had a bumper sticker for people to put on their cars in in many years. Yeah. Last one was back during the Bush administration where during that time we were we had the the bumper sticker for build the wall then. All right. Now I do it and I'm I'm the worst thing since Satan basically <laughs> if I did that again. Well, I'm going to do a new one. And it's going to be, it's going, and I, look, I, I need some advertisers to get behind this so we can do it. It's going to say, up in the corner, it will say confused. And then underneath of it, it will say, check your junk. <laughs> that should stop all the confusion. If you got berries and a twig, you're a guy. If you don't, you're a girl probably. Now that's not 90, that's not a hundred percent true, but it, should be take care of about 99.2% of the population. All right, enough of that. I want to talk to Michael Joyce here. Hey, Michael, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Hey, when I get uh, that those bumper stickers, you want one? Of course, huh? absolutely. Send it out to uh, the swamp. We'd love to have them. Yeah, I'll send it over. Uh, I'll send it to Seth. Seth is a buddy of mine, so I'll send him some, and then 
he can fight you guys off when you, you want one for your car or whatever. But don't you love that? Confused? Check your junk. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's going to be a really good bumper sticker. There's a lot of people going to want that. Okay, enough about that. Let's talk about Barr. He got into it with Blumenthal. You know, liar Blumenthal, the guy who said he went to Vietnam, but he really didn't. And, and and nobody brings that up when he calls somebody a liar because he's the ultimate liar. What what did you yeah, think? I, I thought Bark held his ground really well today. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. You know, of course, he had nothing to really discuss. If you saw uh, the reports that came out last night uh, regarding Mueller's response to the attorney general's letter that he sent to Congress uh, as soon as he got his hands on the Mueller report, they basically said that Barr pressed Robert Mueller on whether or not he thought his report and his letter were inaccurate, and he said no. So the whole basis and the whole premise of what <laughs> the Democrats were asking today, we already disproved that last night, finding out what Bob Mueller said in the letter to the attorney general. So it's clear that you know today was a day of monologues for folks like Senator Hirono and Senator oh, Blumenthal, and it was uh, an opportunity to cut a campaign ad if you were Cory Booker or Kamal Harris or Amy Klobuchar. So it was just, you know, more of the same, uh, continuing their political vendetta against President Trump. They're going to continue this on throughout 2020 up until November of 2020. And ultimately, I think what we found out is they refused to accept the results of the special counsel's findings because they refused to accept the results of the 2016 presidential election. And that's what this is all about. They don't care about enacting policy or getting to work for the American people. All they care about is continuing their smear campaign against President Trump and Attorney General Barr and any any tie to President Trump and his administration. What really came out that was of interest, I thought, uh, Michael, is when Grassley was talking to Barr and uh, was talking about uh, Hillary Clinton and Barr said that he was making up his mind whether to look seriously into Clinton and the DNC dealing, uh, you know, with the, that report that was done by a foreign national and got all of its information from the Russians. And, I, you know, I don't know if you heard it or not, but I heard anal tightening going on all over Washington at that moment. Did, did you happen to hear the sphincters getting awful tight? After he said that, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was something else, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's really been a day today watching this. Uh, you know, I think we do need to go back, though. I think it's very important to remember while Joe Biden is out on the campaign trail that Russia meddled in our elections under Barack Obama and Joe Biden's watch. That's so right. You heard, so you heard about it. Lindsey Graham brought it up. Uh, a few other Republican lawmakers did as well, but. We absolutely need to go back and investigate the investigators that launched this investigation. You know, as you mentioned, the FISA court, when they brought uh, the Dem-funded dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats as opposition research to defeat Donald Trump in the 2016 election, when that was given to the FISA court, they did not tell the FISA court, hey, by the way, this is paid for by Democrats. It was originally opposition research. Uh, We also coordinated with Russians for gossip that is included in this report as well. I mean, that is absurd. And I think every single American, regardless of party, can at least understand that this investigation should never have been launched. We've spent two years and $35 million to come up with the exact same answer we had before this special counsel 
with wants. And I think the American people are done with it. They're ready to move forward. And the Democrats are going to pay at the polls in 2020 if they continue their political vendetta against President Trump. But, you know, we'll see it again tomorrow, round two, uh, with the House and Jared Nadler and everyone else. So yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. You know as well as I do that they are tripling down on all of this. And I believe the Democrats are going to lose big in 2020. I think they may lose the House in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, when you go back to the 2018 election, people forget that Republicans had almost a record-breaking amount of Republican lawmakers step down or retire or anything else. I think we had 43 across the state. Yes, That's a lot of ground to make up uh, in one election alone, let alone a presidential midterm election year. So there are seats there. I think with having President Trump on the top of the ticket, that helps down-ballot races significantly. We saw that bump all over the country uh, in the 2018 elections or the 2016 elections, excuse me. Uh, and I think you'll see the same thing again in 2020. But yeah, I think the bigger problem here is that in 2018, the Democrats, their message was give us the house back and we will get to work for the American people. And you had a lot of freshman Democrats say, we will not confirm Nancy Pelosi to be the next speaker. We do not want Nancy. We want new leadership. Well, we all saw them that when it came time to vote, they all either voted yes for Nancy Pelosi. A couple folks like Elisa Slotkin up in Michigan, she voted present, which only further paved the way to confirm Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. The other issue is they haven't done anything in control of the House. They haven't even introduced a budget. That is a simple thing. When, when Republicans were having a hard time bringing a budget forward, they said, you're not doing your job. This is unacceptable. You guys need to step down and let us take charge. Well, they're the ones in charge now, and they haven't introduced the budget. The only thing they seem to be interested in doing in the House right now is launching more baseless fishing expeditions into President Trump that are going to lead to nowhere. Yeah, well, of course, that's all they got. I mean, that's all they had. And when the Mueller report came out, Michael, let's, let's be honest here. The Democrats thought they had the president. They thought for sure they were going to get him on collusion and when they got that report from Mueller, all the air went out of their balloon, basically. They're in deep, deep trouble. I mean, I'm listening to what all of these people who are running for the nomination for the Democrat uh, Party to run for president are saying, and they all sound absolutely out. You know, they're not even of this world anymore. They're out in outer space, and Biden has joined them. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, except for uh, Cory Booker, we didn't hear a lot about the, the collusion, the Russia collusion hoax. That kind of went away today. Again, except for Cory Booker. He seems to be the only one that didn't read the Mueller report that <laughs> explicitly states that there was no collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign in the 2016 election. But, you know, they're desperate. They're grasping at straws. They said, OK, well, there's no collusion. Let's fo focus on the obstruction angle. Well, first of all, how can you obstruct something when you didn't commit a crime? President Trump knew he didn't commit a crime. So what obstruction was there to be had? It's, it's a ridiculous notion to think that you would do something like that. Uh, the attorney general in his hearing today in his testimony also said it is the president as his role as the leader of the executive branch. He has the right to fire people. And I think people forget, too, that with James Comey, there were a lot of Democrats calling for James Comey's head by the end of the 2016 election. They were not happy with Comey. They wanted him fired. Yep. He ended up getting fired. And then they said to President Trump, you obstructed there because you fired him. But again, <laughs> they forget 
that's because they were assuming that this president was toast and that he actually colluded with the Russians. We found out it was a complete hoax, and it's disgusting to watch Jerry Nadler, Eric Swalwell, and Adam Schiff go on TV every single day, every single week, and continue to push this Russia collusion hoax that doesn't exist. There was no collusion and no obstruction. I don't know how many times the president, Republicans, and others have to say it for it to get stuck in the Democrats' heads, but I think you're right. I think this is the only thing they have going into the 2020 presidential election. They can't hang their heads, their hats on anything they've done in the House since they've taken over. They don't have a platform. They don't have a message. The only message is we want free everything and we want to change the rules because we can't win under these circumstances. So let's abolish the Electoral College. Let's let 16-year-olds vote. Heck, let's let prisoners vote. You know, the Boston Marathon bomber, he deserves the right to vote. We should let him. Former uh, disgraced governor from Illinois, Rob Blagojevich, you know, he's sitting in a jail cell in Colorado. He should be able to vote, too. Rapers, murderers, murderers, terrorists, let's give all of them the right to vote. That's an absurd mo- notion. I think when the Democrats realize that President Trump's economy is firing on all cylinders right now, it's delivering for every single American in this country. You look at consumer confidence through the roof, record low unemployment, uh, job creation coming. We've already surpassed well over 5 million jobs created. Uh, you know, it was hilarious watching Joe Biden the other day during his announcement in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is at their lowest recorded level of unemployment ever right now. Yep. So it was comical listening to Joe Biden say that the Donald Trump economy has failed Pennsylvanians. It absolutely hasn't. They don't have a message and they don't know what to do. So they're just going to continue the Hillary Clinton model, which is, hey, I'm not Donald Trump. And I think they're going to find out in a very brutal fashion that that is an incredibly bad losing message heading into 2020 against this president and the promises kept by him and the results he's delivered for the American people. I Man, you want to do my show tomorrow? <laughs> hey, you know, I'll, I'll come on anytime. Always happy to. <laughs> did it great. Hey, by, by the way, last thing, Grassley, did you hear what he said to Barr when Barr was talking about Clinton? And he said, and, and was talking about that they, you know, they talked to a foreign national and they got Russian information and then they used it against the, uh, you know, the, the, the yeah. soon to be president. And he said, that's the exact definition of collusion. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You know, we forget about every instance of collusion under uh, the Democrats going back to the Loretta Lynch meeting on that tarmac. Uh, you know, they seem to be the ones in the business of collusion and, we all forget Hillary Clinton in 2008 or nine when she was holding the reset button to reset relations with Russia. You know, I mean, <laughs> the the issues with Russia uh, stemming back to 2000. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate it. I promised uh, Seth I'd only hold you for 15 minutes. We're right around that right now. So, Michael, you have a great afternoon. Thanks for joining us here today in Little Rock on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, bye bye now, Michael. Uh, Joyce here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick show and some of his insights into the bar hearing and they say that he had some insights is an understatement a break then we're back for more here on the Dave Ellswick show all right back and uh, let's finish up for this half hour coming up in the next half hour uh, from Washington DC Congressman French Hill will join us uh, for the half hour and we'll talk to him about a lot of different things uh, today. Uh, they, he definitely wants to talk uh, about the hearings today. Because, yeah, I mean, if you watch those hearings, it, it's just absolutely, it's such a waste of time. 
of stuff that needs to be done. I mean, we started this show off when we talked to Ira Melman from FAIR, all right, and and talking to him about all of this uh, going on on our southern border, and he's live down in El Paso. It was great talking to him today. He's a good friend of mine. I've uh, I've worked with FAIR uh, and, and about, uh, you know, Federation for American Immigration and uh, t- talked with them for 15 years. And, and I've known Ira for that whole time. He's He's been a part of FAIR. Uh, you can learn more about uh, illegal immigration and what exactly is going on at the uh, the border by just going to fair, F-A-I-R-U-S dot O-R-G. And then you can talk with them about, uh, you know, what, what it is, that, how much is it costing us, why aren't things getting done. And he was very, very clear about what was going on. Congress is not doing their job. The Democrats are just doing everything they can do to do uh, smoke and mirrors and put up roadblocks to do anything. And and right now, uh, it's just wide open. People are coming into the country. They can't be vetted. You've got people running drugs into our country. It's hard to get them stopped. And it needs to, it needs to be uh, cleared up. And it can't be cleared up unless Congress does something. All right, let's get to the news and we'll get back for the congressman. All right, we continue on the phone with Washington, D.C. Congressman French Hill joins us today. So what was it that Grassley said to A.G. Barr talking about uh, Hillary Clinton and the DNC? When you talk about collusion, that's the definition. Yeah, I don't. I uh I don't know what they said to each other because I've actually worked all day and not watched any of the William Barr testimony. But all I know is that uh, Bill Barr is an honorable guy. Bob Mueller is an honorable guy. And there's no collusion, no obstruction. The Department of Justice reviewed this material. They cleared President Trump. I sure wish we could move on and talk about things that are of importance to the country. Well, I can move on. Shall we move on? <laughs> Let Only, well, I'm never tired of talking about it with you, Dave. So. <laughs> well, I'd rather move on because let's talk about the great economic news that's coming out because that's what's going to beat the Democrats in 2020. Yeah, this is, you know, I was looking when I was home last week, looking at the, uh, state statistics on job growth in Arkansas and just how broad-based it's been and expanding across the states. And then uh, today, with this news that private payrolls grew 275,000 jobs last month, that's a big number. And we haven't seen a number that big since last summer. Uh, So it's supporting, it seems to me, this underlying uh, 3% level of growth. All right, let's talk one of the things that came out. Maybe you can shed some light on this because you work real closely with the economic uh, uh, things that are going on up there in Congress. And it says a solid increase in U.S. exports resulted in the best first quarter in GDP growth in the last six years. Why this increase in exports? 
Well, it's a little counterintuitive because when you watch TV at night, we're told that our economy is slowing and that Europe is slow, that, Japan, yeah. uh, that uh, China is slowing. But I think it shows you that we have a resurgence that we've been talking about for two years in both services and in agriculture and in manufactured goods, principally in manufactured goods. And don't forget something that you and I have talked about over the years, something I'm particularly proud of, and that's our oil exporting capacity now and our liquefied natural gas. And I think if you look at LNG exports uh, in the country, that's a big contributor. That's going to be huge because, you know, we're making it difficult on the Soviets and we're making it difficult on Iran. And if people can't get their, their petroleum products from those two folks, then where do they turn other than the stars and stripes? Exactly. And this has been a solid bit of four years of work first to allow us to lift the Jimmy Carter uh, ban on exporting crude oil, which we've done. Uh, And secondly, we've built facilities on the East, West and Gulf Coast for LNG terminal exporting. We could do more, uh, honestly, if we could export energy, more energy from the West Coast. But as you know, we're not able to export coal from the West Coast mm-hmm. because that's been banned in Washington, Oregon, and California, part of their hyper denial that for our economy to expand, we must have abundant, stable, and affordable energy sources from all the above. Well, the bottom line is, you know, we're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. We're the Saudi Arabia of coal. So can't couldn't they build a, a port that would be able to handle that down in, say, Louisiana? I got to believe that the people in Louisiana would love to see it go out from their ports. Yeah, you bet. One of the biggest uh, LNG exporting terminals we have is uh, there in Louisiana. And what's amazing, and that's the beauty of the free enterprise system, we're able to produce natural gas in Texas, for example, compress it, uh, transport it through a pipeline, take it out on a pipeline to uh, and liquefy it, and then put it on board a ship and transport it to Japan, and we can do that cheaper than they can buy it on the open market. Yeah. So that is as you say, gives an alternative to the Western economies, the G7 economies, to being dependent on volatile Middle Eastern sources or Russia. And we have LNG import facilities both on the Baltic and Northern Europe and on the Adriatic and Southern Europe purely to offer uh, distribution alternatives to Russia. It doesn't mean you don't buy Russian gas. It's closer. It's cheaper. That's perfectly fine. But if they ever try to use it in a wintertime blackmail, political blackmail operation, that's where the Stars and Stripes alternative can ride in on a white horse. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Putin has been uh, not uh, he's been pretty, pretty open about that. We could turn off your gas going into, for instance, NATO countries and The president brought that up to them just a few months ago. Right. The president's he got so much criticism for that meeting with Putin last summer. But on both points, 
uh, diversification of energy and helping our friends in the European Atlantic uh, Council partnership. Uh, you know, Trump was heavily criticizing for criticizing Germany for being too cozy with the Russians on a new natural gas pipeline. I didn't understand that uh, because it's a truth. Spend a lot of yeah, it's the truth. We spent a lot of money. Uh, Engage is a major defense partner in NATO, and we wanted both those things that the president outlined. We want countries to do 3% of GDP and defense expenditures, and we want uh, to help support Europe and its desire to have a diversified energy stream. These are good things. These strengthen NATO. They don't weaken NATO. These strengthen NATO. So I, I really was mystified by the heavy, heavy criticism he came under for that. those remarks. Let's let's talk a little bit about the economy and how it will play in 2020. I mean, there's no telling. It's 18 months away. The economy could run into a hiccup and have a really bad spell or something like that. I don't expect to see it happen, but it could. Anything is possible. But you've got Democrats that are running for the nomination for the Democratic Party that are poo-pooing. I mean, they are pointing their finger and talking about that the, 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 what's happening in America is not good. And the American people aren't stupid. I mean, they know they got more money in a paycheck. They know they may have gotten a better job. They know that they can take their family on a vacation, buy a new car, maybe up their what house they're living in. I mean, how do the Democrats think they're going to win by pointing their finger and saying it? You know, this is not the way to do things. Well, it's uh, you're right. Anything can happen. There could be shocks in the global uh, economic system from uh, oil shortages to uh, a new uh, armed conflict somewhere or a uh, sharp contraction in, in business somewhere that spills over. All those things are possible. And we've had 10 years now of expansion since the 0708 crisis and we're long overdue for um, a downturn but if you look at hiring you look at rising wages something that again the opposition party says there aren't rising wages that's untrue there are wages real wage increases up and down uh, the board there are reduced regulatory costs in the economy that are encouraging we are encouraging companies to come back to the U.S. and manufacture here with the tax code changes that in the 80s and 90s, that was a bipartisan objective. Now it seems to be only a Republican uh, objective. These things have all strengthened the U.S. position competitively. We're asked all the time, man, we appreciate the way your economy is growing. It helps our economy grow, whereas Europe continues to slump with a banking system that's not competitive and undercapitalized that has not recovered from 07, 08, a regulatory system that gets more and more expensive because of the EU's approach to a nanny state, which is why you have Brexit, right? why you have other countries wanting to reduce the burden of, of EU regulation. So I'm, I remain right now, you know, like any former banker, you know, cautiously optimistic. And when I see a number like 275,000 new jobs uh, in the last month, that is strong. What are the risks 
I mean, another risk is a failed uh, trade arrangement between China and the U.S. that compels President Trump to ratchet up sanction pressure. Uh, in my opinion, that would be tough on China, but it would be tougher probably on American consumers and American business, and it would be not good for economic growth, personal opinion. So trade uh, trade issues are at the heart of keeping this positive economic story going. Yeah. What do you think of, uh, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm thinking grassly, but I don't think it was grass. Yeah. It was somebody else who made the statement that uh, Mr. Trump has to do something about what's happening with the Chinese or he'll not see his new Canada-Mexico bill or uh, treaty uh, get approved by the Senate. Was that a shout shout out to him? Was that a shot over to Bao? Yeah, I think it was. That's not something um, um, I've heard. But if it was Grassley, Grassley comes from farm country. He comes from uh, corn and soybean country in Iowa. And look, our farmers are in their third bad year. We've had bad harvests and we've had bad weather, either on the planning side of the equation or the harvesting side of the equation over the last uh, two and a half or three years. So farm income is down. And then uh, when China last fall bought fewer soybeans, that also uh, hurt a market already hurt by weather conditions and and uh, poor quality crops. So, you know, that's a shot across the bow, but I can, I can tell you that I don't, I, I don't think we should connect those things. I believe that uh, Stephen Mnuchin, the treasury secretary and the president should fight for uh, the best deal they can get with uh, China. And I think the president's already demonstrated that he's negotiated a pretty good new deal to replace NAFTA. Mm-hmm. And what we need is Nancy Pelosi and Democrats to step up and join with Republicans and get NAFTA's replacement, the USMCA agreement, uh, through the Congress as soon as possible. Because that is so important to Arkansas, Dave. I mean, all this other stuff is is important. But when you look at Arkansas jobs, 360,000 jobs out of our 3 million population, that's seriously tied to trade with Canada and trade with Mexico. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to finish up our conversation talking about Venezuela. That's big in the news. Yeah. I think we need to talk about that and also talk about uh, during the bar uh, questioning. Uh, it looks like uh, AG Barr is going to go looking for the people who've been leaking at the FBI and the DOJ. And I'd like to talk to you about that. Right. We got the congressman on with us. Congressman Hill is with us from District 2 on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Final few moments that we have with uh, Congressman Hill. Congressman, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo said that the administration does not discount the use of military force in Venezuela. Uh, or, uh, yeah, Senator Scott yesterday was being questioned about this, and he made the statement that with Maduro in, in command in in uh, Venezuela, with Russia and China 
the only two countries backing him, we cannot take the chance that we would we would get a Syria in South America. Well, I think that that is a meddlesome objective, potentially, of Russia. As you say, the only countries backing Maduro, who is purely a authoritarian thug backed by 25,000 Cuban mercenaries, mm-hmm. uh, plus his military, the only three countries are China, Russia, and Turkey have endorsed the Maduro regime. The Organization of American States and 50 countries are in support of the legislative leader, Guido. Uh, The United States supports him. We've had, obviously, Vice President Pence uh, to Colombia and others to give that support. You know, I don't – Maduro is making a mistake, which is he's not allowing, in my view, uh, anyone in the country with humanitarian aid Kevin McCarthy just got back from uh, Bogota and went to the bridge on the border with Colombia. He told me today at lunch that 50,000 people come across that border every day from Venezuela to Colombia to try to buy food or medicine. Some go back in the afternoon. Others just either stay in Colombia or go on to another country. Uh, so Venezuela is killing its population and and bleeding at the seams. And so to me, the real issue and the role for the Organization of American States and for America is to try to get humanitarian aid to the people of Venezuela because they are starving to death and they are suffering catastrophic medical conditions. Well, and we can use them as a, a perfect case study about why the Second Amendment is so important in our own country because there's been countless stories coming out of Venezuelans, expats all, saying that if we had guns, we could fight back. But Chavez took our guns back in 2012. Yeah, I, this has been a plan underway since 2000 when when uh, Chavez took over. And last night, about 1130 last night, Eastern Time, I was working on a project, and I flipped to the Guardian newspaper, no bastion of conservatism, but the English paper, The Guardian, and they posted a bunch of video from their correspondence there that shows, you know, Maduro's thugs running over the protesters with their armed trucks. Yep. Now, come on. This is this is just not tolerable. So... I hope uh, President Trump is getting good advice, but I know he's got the consistent support of leaders in Latin America to try to get the rightful uh, government put in place in Venezuela and then call a public election. All right. Last but not least, during the uh, Barr hearings today, A.G. Barr said that there were many investigations into leaks at the FBI and Department of Justice. It's about time. Yeah, this was so encouraging. I mean, I, for since the summer of 2016, uh, when all this began and we began to learn about bits and pieces of it through Comey's uh, discussions with the Congress, we know that there hasn't been an adequate investigation of what went on at the Department of Justice 
and under the best efforts of the House and Senate committees, um, they made progress. I want to credit uh, the work here of the Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan and others, but it takes uh, the power of the executive branch and the subpoena power and the investigation power to do it. I was very glad to hear Bill Barr is going to get to the bottom of what the heck was going on in the Department of Justice and the FBI during the 2016 period and who was talking to the press in the in the previous administration. Yeah, that really is important. I don't think people understand how important it is that you can't leak like a sieve uh, to the press and expect to have a well-working administration. No, but, you know, it goes, I mean, I think all administrations suffer from general leaks to the press. This gets into matters under a national security investigation or a DOJ criminal investigation uh, and people leaking and gossiping there for political reasons. Uh, And so, anyway, I was pleased to see that Bill Barr answered Chairman Grassley's question, that that was something that he was fully committed to looking into. Congressman, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for giving us 30 minutes. We appreciate it. You can go back to work now. Take care, my friend. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, a lot of uh, interesting discussion there uh, with him. Coming up in the next hour, we've got Joe from Joe's Garage. We'll uh, turn our attention for a few moments over to uh, your cars and your trucks. And we can talk about all the different things going on. Duck's not going to be here. He's out celebrating his 42nd or 43rd anniversary. So uh, he couldn't be here today. He and his wife are out enjoying some time uh, together uh, in remembering uh, memories and making new memories on on their anniversary. And we want to congratulate them on the many years they've been uh, they've been married, but uh, Joe's going to be coming over. We're talking. We're going to talk some about the uh, annual car show. I have the uh, the uh, website now. It's been uh, taken care of, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. And uh, take and uh, give you the information that you need to know and where you need to go to be over and able uh, able to go and get your car ready to be in that show coming up on. June 1st, we're just a little over a month away, be a month away on Saturday. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks for being with us today. Stay with us. we got two more hours here on uh, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get into the 4 o'clock hour. Joe is here from Joe's Garage. Duck is not here. He is. Out. I don't know where he's at. I just know that he and his lovely wife are out celebrating. I forget whether forty two or forty three years. I bet he don't marriage. remember either. No, he did because he told us last week. Okay, then he's got the years correct. Yeah, yep. right. at least he said he did. Well, it's a good thing he's out with her because if he wanted to get another one in, he probably need to be. <laughs> You're right about you that. Know, you might see Duck in the doghouse if if he didn't. So. Yes, he would have been in the doghouse. Mm-hmm. All right. So you were in Ohio, is that right? No, no. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Near, North Carolina. So tell us what you learned about Wicks. Well, it's one of the largest uh, filter manufacturing companies in the world. 
I think uh, if I remember correctly, my my I think they build like 1.2 million filters a week there, or something like wow. that. It's huge, great big, yeah, manufacturing plant. Yeah, and to watch it work and see how they do it and all that's pretty cool. And they make for bumper to bumper, they make the parts master line of filters, air filters, fuel filters, cabin air filters, and they've come out with a, a new uh, filter specifically designed for synthetic oils. Okay, what so if, what what's the difference between an oil filter from synthetics and normal? Normal. Well, well, normal filter the you know they're they're built to go five six thousand miles. Right. Three to four five six. You know. Well, synthetic oils you can run certain vehicles you can run them eight ten thousand miles. So they've designed for parts master a specific oil filter that'll do that job. So it it lasts as long as your oil interval does. Oh, okay. Instead of, you know, with a conventional filter, you would have uh, traditionally with conventional oil, it would be four, five, six thousand miles. Now they're going eight, ten. And a lot of the engines today are synthetic oil, so the filter's got to match what kind of oil you're in it and do it. And everything in this filter is synthetic, too. The filter's synthetic and it's for synthetic oil. It'll run eight to ten thousand miles. It's a pretty cool deal, Dave. Okay, but. Synthetic oil, do you trust it for eight to 10,000 miles? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, but you have to remember now, all your oil change intervals are set up with whatever kind of oil it was born with. So when, right. and, and, and that's part of the problem that they had here is a lot of people are saying, all right, I got 150,000 miles on this vehicle and uh, I want to, you know, synthetic oils are popular. Now I want to upgrade to a synthetic oil. Well, the filter that, which typically you would look up in a parts book for that vehicle is a four, five thousand, six thousand mile filter. Right. So you're going to put that on, then you're going to extend it to eight or ten thousand. So they decided that the best thing to do is build a filter for that, so it would work. So even if you had, say, you upgraded to synthetic oil, you can put a synthetic filter on there to design for synthetic oil, and it'll run the same distance. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. It makes sense. I mean, it seems like if you're using a new technology with the oil, you need a new technology to clean or keep that oil sure. clean. So, and, and we looked at all that and, and learned a lot of stuff about filters, how they're made and how they're built. And, and the technology that goes in behind those filters, Dave, is enormous. You know, Wix makes specialty filters for companies and NASCAR teams all, all over. You can call them and say, I need an air filter this size, this big, and, you know, carry this cfm air through it and they'll engineering they'll engineer that filter wow. and build it right there wow yeah. so that was pretty cool huh yeah it was to, it was neat to visit them yeah absolutely they feed you good yeah they did i just wanted to make sure i'm i've got your i got your back on this yeah they did they did really <laughs> good uh those guys at wix are, are great folks and uh they they they're great hosts and very informative and they got I mean, fantastic facilities there. You'd be amazed. Anything that you heard that you looked and said, hey, from a bumper-to-bumper standpoint, can you do this or can you do that? Because, I mean, that's kind of what your guys' group does, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that, that, that you know, they're in the filter business, but that uh, making and designing and engineering that uh, synthetic filter specifically for PartsMaster. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and you can use that filter on conventional and so, you know, you can use it, and it doesn't matter what your car was born with. You can take that part number and put it on your vehicle and know that you got the proper filter on it to do whatever you do with it, whether it's conventional or synthetic oil. 
And, and you know, you, you learn that, but uh, sometimes if you see it in an action and see how it's made, you think, wow, it's more in, it takes more to build a filter than what you imagine. Yeah, it's not but just drain roll, back rolling up a bunch of stuff. It's not full of toilet paper, it. I promise you, okay? <laughs> a lot of people think that. That's correct, but there's not. There's some there's some high tech technology that goes into building a filter and making it last and do what it's designed to do without causing any trouble, without leaking, without stopping up, without causing the the check valve and the drain back. So when you start your engine, it doesn't have to fill the filter up again. So you know it's it's really interesting. Okay, so without getting us too far into the weeds here, mm-hmm. what's the difference between a filter that filters regular oil and one that filters a, you know, fake oil, so to speak? You talking about synthetic? Yeah, synthetic. Uh, basically, the the material that it's made out of, and and for the length of the life of the filter. What's the difference? What I mean, what I'm saying, I guess, is. What is one filter catching that another, like another filter wouldn't catch of a synthetic or whatever? They had to make a special filter for the synthetic oil. Well, what, what, what's special about the synthetic that you had to devise a brand new filter for? You want it to last longer, so it's going to filter the same oil over and over and over again. Okay. And you don't want it stopping up. If it stops up, it will uh, blow the check valve open in it. And then you're just bypassing. You don't want it to bypass. So the technology is we're going to run this oil and then subject it to this temperature and, and you know, this RPM and this flow rate. And if you sit back and looked at it on, on the flow rate and, and and how much it's catching and when, if it runs this period of time, if it stops up, what's going to happen and and what are the significant changes in the oils because today's oils are a lot thinner. Right. And they run on a lot higher pressures than they used two years ago, you know. So all of that technology put together, and basically that's that's the way they design and build a filter. All right. Well, we're going to come back. Put all with, those little pieces of pie together to make it work. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And they have engineers and scientists they that have, work that stuff out. They have research and development, and they have test stands, and they test it over and over and over again, and they randomly pull filters off the line and test them just to make sure the quality control it's it's a pretty neat deal dave cool that they actually well that's how you get to be number one wix is number one basically in the filter business yes my my opinion they are man and hummel owns wix filters now and they're great that's a big corporation from germany and they've taken their technology and blended it with wix's technology to come up with probably i think the the best filter in the, you know, not just the U.S., but, you know, worldwide. Wow. Industrial as well as, you know, uh, passenger car and light truck and heavy-duty equipment. They do all of that there. All right. We've got a gift to give away here on the air. Uh, come, when we come back, we're going to talk about the car show. We want to give you the latest on that. We'll give you a website you can go to so you can go ahead and start registering your automobiles for June 1st. But... Uh, Joe, you've got the picture. What yeah. exactly is it that we're giving away? We're giving away a spray bottle full of uh, Duragloss all-wheel cleaner, ultimate detail spray, car wash uh, solution, uh, vinyl leather, and a uh, polishing kit. comes in a bucket. Uh, it is a uh, $33 value, okay. and it's coming from the bumper-to-bumper store in Levy. 
and it is uh, the exact address on that is uh, it's at the bottom of uh, I-40 when you get off. If you're westbound, the uh, street address is. Give me just a second, Dave. Yeah, I had that and I lost fine. it. Yeah, but I'll have it here in just a second. It's at 929 West 33rd. The phone number is 753-4410. They're open Monday through Friday, 730 to 530 and 9 to 12 on Saturday. All right. We'll give all that to Zach, and he'll give it all to you. So if you're the winner, be the fifth caller, 823-0965. The detailing bucket, that's what it is. You can detail your car, basically, with all of these products. 823-0965. Fifth caller, call now. All right, back with you. Joe's here with me from Joe's Garage. And on the line with us is uh, Dina Hopper. Hooper. Dina Hooper. Hey, Dina, you won a uh, a detailing bucket. Uh, your husband will be happy to know that he can uh, really make the car look good, right? He'll just be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car do you drive, Dina? Uh, 2012 Toyota. You like it? I love it. Well, that's good. You ain't had no yeah. trouble with it or anything? No trouble with it at all. Yeah, those are good cars, I promise you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are good cars. Yes, ma'am. And uh, I know where to take it if something happens to you or to cattle. Well, I appreciate that very much. Yes, sir. If we can do anything for you, okay. let us know. And uh, okay. good luck on getting your husband out there to uh, get on his shorts and wash and wax your take car. A lot of- a lot of luck, but I'll push it. All right. Well, he can't say okay. he don't have the stuff now. All you got to do is right. go pick it up. That's exactly I'll right. I'll go pick it up. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay, thank, thank you so much, Dina. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Glad that she was listening in. Picks sure. up a nice gift. That's a nice gift. It is. If you know, And if you got somebody to do it for you, which she does, her husband, yeah. it's an even better deal. Yeah, absolutely. It really works out. All right. So if you're not driving and you can get a pencil and a piece of paper grab one and i'm going to give you a a a web address for you to uh, to go to so you can get all the information you need about the car show we're going to tell you about it too but we want to have you go to the website and register your car for uh, one of the best car shows in the state of arkansas it's coming up on June 1st, that's the uh, sa- first Saturday in June, and we want you to join with us over at the uh, Conway Expo Center and uh, come over and show your car. We're hoping to hit 200 cars this year. I think we will, Dave. The weather's good. No, I agree. Yeah. The weather comes out nice. So we'll be fine. And even if the weather is not nice, you're inside, so, so it's yeah. not a bad deal, let me just tell you. Exactly, and not, and not if, like being on the east side of War Memorial. <laughs> no, if, if you don't get if you don't get there early and get registered in and get inside, we're going to put you out there in in the pavilion area, and and it's still covered. So yeah, and uh, we're working on making sure that there's audio out there this year, and there's some fans out there, and everybody be comfortable, and everybody hear what's going on, to hear exactly. all the messages. All yeah. right, here is the website to go to B T B B T b auto parts that's one word btb autoparts.com and that'll take you to a website as all it, it directs you to what you need to do to register for the car show on june 1st 
Why don't you run through all of the basics here, Joe? Well, it's kind of like we have for the past 10 years. It's going to have your classes. And, uh, you know, the best uh, best of show is going to win a $1,000 shopping spree at Bumper to Bumper. Uh, we're going to this year, we, we in the past, we gave a little vacation package away. This year, we're going to raffle off two big screen TVs. Yeah. And, and, and all the proceeds from that go to the Ronald McDonald House. We're trying to figure out something where we can help generate some more money for the for the charity that we are involved with, and that's right. the Ronald McDonald House. And the more we can generate, the better off it is for the kids, and that's sure. what we were looking at. So we changed that a little bit. As far as the um, all of the vendors that are going to be there, all of the CSCs that are there, we always give away something, Dave. Each one I of know. us, either 50 to to $100, and you're going to have 10 of those, so it's possible another $1,000 worth of free gifts for you. And we'll draw those names out right there that day. So we're going to keep you entertained and give away a bunch of stuff while you're there, whether you're a participant in the car show or if you're just a spectator coming in and look at all the nice rides. Okay, Dave? Yeah. We're going to do everything we can to make it entertaining, you know. Well, i got to tell you, the thing that is amazed me about this car show when we started off had a lot of the muscle cars and things of that nature that typically are uh you know shown but we've picked up now a lot of people that come out and show their vets and uh, of course we do the rat rods at that division now and that's growing as well and it's a it's just a lot of fun you're going to see cars a lot of people you never see any more that show oh, up at that show exactly you know that the the rat rod uh category is a pretty neat one and actually uh th- we get a trophy built for that it's unique it's yeah. all of its own you know it's it not like a traditional 40 or 50 yeah. pounds you know it's made out of gears and chains and pistons and anything we can think up to mix it together so right. you know, it's pretty cool i know that uh, duck works with a gentleman to to make that uh that trophy and he said last year's weighed 43 pounds, I think, is what yeah. he said. he's got some kids at one of the schools that help him do that, so they get they get a kick out of building it, you know? No, I'm sure they yeah. do. I'm sure they do. Okay, but here's what we'd like you to do. Joe and Doc and other people from Bumper to Bumper are going to be at the car show early, early in the morning, ready for you to, to sign in or sign up. If you'd like to forego that and just show up just before the show and then go park your car and be ready to go, go to this website, BTB Auto Parts. One word, BTB, the letters, BTBAutoParts.com, and you can get all of that taken out of the way, and Joe would appreciate that. I know Duck will appreciate that. Uh, They're still going to be there early, but maybe they won't have a mile line of, of cars waiting to to register and, and get into the building yeah it takes time to do that well it does if you pre-register you'll get a number and when you get there we'll have a packet ready for you and you just come in and say i'm pre-registered you can buy a name or number and we'll hand you a packet you fill it out and bring it back at your convenience but we'll go ahead and park and get you ready so you can get set up and then you can do your paperwork and bring it up there okay registration fee is how much it's twenty dollars oh Twenty dollars. Everything goes to Ronald McDonald House. You you know that's pretty doggone cheap. Yes, it is to, to take part in a car show that has some really nice trophies that they give away, and uh, the the ultimate winner of the car show 
is going to show their car along with all the other cars over at Dickie Stevens Field when they have their car show, which is, I think, just two weeks after ours. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You and I and Duck will be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll we'll be looking at these different cars and not saying that you'll have a special place in our heart, but you'll probably have a special place in our heart. Yeah. <laughs> As we go through and look at the cars. You know, so. and and uh, back to the car show a little bit. The uh, Rock City Cruisers are going to judge it again. They're excellent at it. And they they've do been a good doing job. it for 10 years. Uh, a long time, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. They've yeah. been doing a real, yeah. and they've done a excellent job. You're yes. right. They do a good job. Who is the gentleman that always comes on with me every year to talk about what they do? Bill Jennings. Bill Jennings. Yep. He'll yeah. be at my remote when y'all are there that day, and we'll get him on air again. Dave. Okay, good. Yep. Yeah, he he has some great stories about classic cars, let me just tell you. He really oh, he does. does. Good stuff. All right, so Joe and I are going to take a little break here, let you catch up with the news, and then we're going to come back, and uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll have some uh, car questions for you. If you have a question, a two three zero nine six five. That's all you got to do is just call in, and Joe's sitting right here. He'll answer your question best of his ability, which is considerable. Eight two three zero nine six five. It's not every day that you can call up and talk to the Obi Wan Kenobi of mm. car mechanics. I don't know about all that. But yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I, I'm I, all I can tell you is I'll do my best for the information provided. And he does, he does a great job. A lot of people. He and Duck. It, I watch them as people call in and ask questions. And man, you can see the gears going <laughs> as you guys are hearing the questions. And typically, if they can't give you exactly what's wrong, they can give you. A, one or two, maybe three. There may be yeah. you know, a possibility that it may be something or something in the other. So they'll keep up, keep you up, or he'll keep you up today. Next week, you know, Duck's going to be back uh, here, and uh, that'll be on the 6th. And we'll be at Duck's Garage next Wednesday for his remote that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And that's always fun to go to. We'll have all kinds. He's got all kinds of catfish and stuff that in the fixings that he's going to feed people. And he's also got all the big wig politicians coming in. All right. So we told you about the uh, car show now, and we'll be telling you about that on, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, shows that we'll be doing uh, over at ducks and at Joe's and at Ryan's at pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to, uh, solidify the 15th so that we'll have four shows leading right up to June 1st and uh, be able to go out and and have some fun but uh, I'm going to take off are you going to take off over Memorial Day it's a three-day weekend usually you're going to yeah. go do something I don't know that I'll go anywhere but I'll be off that day but I'm thinking about I haven't been down in over two and a half years I may go down to New Orleans yeah I've not been to the World War II Museum. I want to go do that. Everybody said it's fantastic. And that's what right? I hear. It's, nothing, yep. it's just great, great mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, they got one good one right there on um, on Fort Knox, which is Patton's Museum, which is a lot of fun to go see. But this one is like the D-Day Museum and stuff. Yeah. I, I really want to see that. Yeah. Take a look at it. 
I, I, me and Susan, me and my wife got married. We went on our honeymoon to New Orleans. Yeah? Yeah. We went back a couple, two, three, four times after that, but we ain't been there since after Katrina. So. Now, is that where the big bridge was that you tell us about, about running out of gas on it? Well, that's the Lake Pontchartrain Bridge. Okay. It's 26 miles long. Right. And uh, that was almost a, 30 but, years ago. Okay. <laughs> and we were in her car, and we were about, I don't know, a third of the way across, and I noticed that we uh, didn't have very much fuel and i asked her i said how far she said i don't know i said well it'll go it'll go about halfway dave about 14 miles <laughs> and then you got to walk the other 14 then well, you got to walk 14 uh, back they have a security there and it was kind of funny the security guy comes around there and of course there's not any place to pull over he's pulled up behind us he said i'm gonna push you up to the next turnaround cut across uh-huh. a little gap in the wall and right. so he pushed us up there and he said you guys get in a car, and I'll take you down here to the end. And uh, there's a little convenience store there, and they got plenty of gas cans. You're not the first people to have this happen. <laughs> Joe, you can call in and talk to him, and he'll do his best to answer your question here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we got about 10 minutes left here in this hour. Joe at Joe's Garage is with us over there on Crystal Hills Road. Uh Steve, well, I'll take that back. Liz has a 2012 Kia Sedona, an EX six-cylinder, three-and-a-half liter. Here's what she's got to say. My van would start, but the engine would not turn over. I took it into an auto body shop, and they said it was the fuel pump. They put in a new fuel pump assembly. The very same day I picked it up from the shop, as I was backing out of my driveway, I saw what looked like oil on the driveway. I ran some errands, came back home, and sure enough, a new oil spot is under the car. And a trail of oil is down the drive. I can literally see oil dripping from the center front of the van when it's parked. I'm going to take it back, but what could have gone wrong? The shop said they were not even near that area of the vehicle, but this seems like a big coincidence. Also, when starting the van, it still takes longer than normal for the engine to turn over, about five seconds. Please give me some advice so I know what I'm dealing with here. Van has 89,000 miles on it, no warning lights. Thanks so much. Well, I'm going to start with the oil leak. Oil leaks are, 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 you know, in in my business, they happen all the time. I don't know if the guys had anything to do with that or not. Putting a fuel pump in doesn't seem like it's related at all. But the real answer to that question would be is where's it leaking from and why? You know, you could uh, it could have a somebody could have serviced it previous to them putting the pump in and uh, not got the drain plug tight or the oil filter gasket leaking possibly, or it could be something that is just. Uh, by happenstance happened but once you determine why what's leaking then you can determine why it might have happened so that's that's where you're at on the oil leak okay as far as the uh, fuel pump you know uh, 89k that's a little premature for a fuel pump uh extended crank time i think she's you know in, in our world dave there are two types of terms that we use one engine cranks over but won't run or engine won't crank over. 
So she says five seconds, and, and, you know, her terminology is just a little bit off. But I think what she's saying is she has an extended crank time. Like, for instance, you turn the key to the crank position, and it's yang, 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 yang. Now, generally, a fuel-injected engine is going to have to make at least one round to start. The reason for that is because it has to put the engine at top dead center in the camshaft, know where everything's out, so where everything's at in the valve timing and the piston timing to know when to start the firing sequence for the coils, for the plugs, and for the injectors to fire. Okay. So it has to make at least one round. Once it makes that one round and everything lines up, boom, it'll start everything working to make the engine start and run. If you have an extended crank time, sometimes you've lost a signal there. It doesn't know where that's at. But if it cranks long enough, it says, I'm seeing part of this or I'm getting a little bit of a signal from this one. It'll simulate it so the engine will start and run. When it simulates that, though, generally it throws on a light. So she has no light, so I'm thinking that, you know, it may not be that. But it still could be a fuel-related issue, too, because the fuel pump has got a check valve in it that when you shut it off, it stops it from draining back into the tank. Right. And if it doesn't, if it drains back, what will happen is when you go to start it again, it has to prime the fuel line all the way from the tank back up to the engine, and that'll be an extended crank time because it's waiting on the fuel to get there. Everything else will be working. It's where's the fuel? Come on, yeah. get here. And it's right. got to have enough pressure for it to function properly. Interesting. I hope that helps her, but it's going to require a couple tests. Need to run, put a fuel pressure gauge on it, see if it's related to the pump they put in. May not be. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't point fingers at anybody and tell anybody anybody's done anything wrong. I don't have any way of knowing that. Right. But my recommendation is take it back to the people that put the pump in, tell them what you're experiencing it, or show them what you're experiencing, and let them test it and see. And if it's leaking oil, have them inspect it and see why it's leaking oil. Once you know why it's leaking oil, you can determine whether or not they had something to do with it or if it's something that they happened she could have run over something on the road and not know it and you know it could be something yeah. of that nature so you don't know without looking at the vehicle correct all right last question for you we've got about four minutes to answer it in steve has a 2011 bmw 335d base six cylinder uh three liter engine possible high pressure jump issue pump issue driving and the car shut off check the fuses and they look good Checked in the tank uh, fuel pump, and it was working. I disconnected the fuel line in the engine compartment and had fuel there. I took off an injector fuel supply line and didn't uh, get even a drop from there, like the fuel rail has no pressure at all. Is the problem most likely the high-pressure pump, or could it still be something else? The vehicle field has the engine listed as a four-cylinder, but it's a six-cylinder. Well, the, the high-pressure pump, the electric pump in the tank is just a uh, what you would call a fuel feed pump. Basically, it, it feeds the high-pressure pump. High-pressure pump is, is mechanical off the engine. So if you don't have any fuel at the fuel line going right to the injector, it's going to be a high-pressure problem. Okay. Now, that high-pressure pump puts out a, a lot of pressure. And, and, you know, it, I, I don't know that he's capable of fixing that, Dave. I'll be honest with you. Uh, and, and, and it's a simple test. You you know, it, you can look at a scanner a lot of times and you can see the actual fuel pressure because it's got a fuel pressure sensor on it. It could be something electrical causing it not to do like it's supposed to because you've got actual and desired fuel pressure. 
And so a sensor could be bad. But most of the time, the way he's describing that, I think he's probably got a high-pressure pump problem. Okay. And it's a BMW, so that means it won't be cheap. No, it won't be cheap. <laughs> but some of them little pumps aren't that high, but some, some manufacturers are kind of pricey. And, and sometimes they're easy to put on. Sometimes they're hard to put on. So it's just going to be, you know, I would recommend him take it into a, a reputable shop, a pre- preferred a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, and those guys there will be able to test it and tell him exactly what it is. All right. You can do it. Find that at Google. Just Google bumper to bumper. They'll tell you where they're you know, at. And, and type in, if it's Bryant, put Bryant, Arkansas, mm-hmm. and it will show every bumper to bumper that's close. True. From the you closest can, to the furthest away. Absolutely. And then find him one that's convenient for him, or at least where he either works or you know lives, and, and it's not too far out of the way. And they should be able to be able to diagnose that and get him fixed up. Okay. Now, as we're finishing it up for today... Let me remind you that the Bumper to Bumper annual car show is Saturday, June the 1st. It'll be one month away mm-hmm. as of Saturday. Yep. Uh, you can go to btbautoparts.com and register your car. It's 20 bucks. Uh, find out you know what division you want to be in and, and whatnot. And uh, come on out and put your classic car up against everybody else's classic car. You just never know. You might win. Yeah, you know, different categories. Just pick you out one. You know, we're going to have best Corvette and best muscle car. So if you register in a class, you know, you kind of got to decide which one you want to be in. But, you know, ain't no big deal because uh, there's going to be plenty of competition there, I promise you. So get that thing spit shined up and come on out and let's – Show it off and see what you can get. And we'll probably have, well, uh, probably, we will have some food out there when you're out there looking at the cars. It's always a lot of fun. And uh, buy yourself a raffle ticket for one of the two 65-inch big screens we're giving away uh, that our dew drop is is uh, yep. supplying at the uh, Bumper to Bumper Car Show. And you just might walk away or drive away with a brand-new TV. Absolutely. All money's whether it's the money going in to get into the show or the money that uh, you buy the tickets with for the uh, the TVs, uh, all goes to the Ronald McDonald House. Yeah, those guys will be out there. So if you come out and you just decide you want to donate some more money to them, they'll be happy to take your check, Dave. And we'll turn around and mm-hmm. uh, give you the opportunity to make a donation. We're going to have Absolutely. something for you to make a donation in. Yep. We'd like to give several thousand dollars to Ronald McDonald House uh, on uh, June 3rd. Absolutely. We won't do it on Sunday. We'll do it on the Monday. Business <laughs> day, you know. Yeah. Got to do that. Now, you guys are meeting uh, Monday, yes. uh, last meeting before the car show, and you meet at Ronald McDonald House. Yeah, it's for our meeting. Yeah. We use their a little uh, meeting room up there. It's pretty nice, really. It's a nice facility. Okay. All right. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Dave. It was an interesting story about uh, going to see Wicks. That's pretty cool. Some yes, of the it things is. you told us about that. Yeah. All right. Next uh, Wednesday, when Joe and Duck are on, we will be at Duck's Garage over in Benton. And we'll tell you more about that. Just keep listening to the station. But uh, they're going to be doing, they're going to be catering fish that day. Catfish. Good. Got to come over and have some catfish with us. Until then, uh, until I come back, which is next hour, I'll let Joe go. I'll see him next Wednesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show.
Thank you, Doug. All right, back with you, 5 o'clock hour. I'm heading home. Uh, put your feet up. Going to have some dinner. It's Wednesday night. A lot of you will be going to church. You know, hope that you have a great evening. I'll get home. Got to get my lottery tickets for uh, Powerball. Get to the house. We're going to have tacos tonight. And then about, uh, I'll check in here in just a few moments. Cubs are going to start playing here in a few minutes. That's a That means it's 2 o'clock in Seattle. That's kind of a weird time to start a ball game, isn't it? It's kind of weird. They're kind of weird. Yeah, they're three hours ahead of us, aren't they? Or are they two hours ahead of us? Two? Okay, so 3 o'clock they're starting the game. I guess that now 5 o'clock, if you started at 5, you could say it's a twilight you know, take off. I remember, I remember when you used to have twilight double headers all the time. Of course, Major League Baseball tries never to play a double header anymore unless they absolutely have to. They want you to play, you pay for every game that you watch. Yes, Russ. You were I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, other you the fact say. That I absolutely hate double headers. Do you really? I don't. You know, I'm an Ernie Banks guy. Let's play too. Well, look, okay. I can understand that, but, dude, when you're sitting up there and 12 hours later you're still calling a game because you've been going <laughs> that stinking no, so, long. See, it wasn't, it's not about the game. It's about and you. And your voice is like this. It's about you. <laughs> That's all right. It's all You're not about doing me. that. You're, never, you're not doing that now. All right. Got a big story here I want to talk about. I was talking earlier with Congressman Hill, and he mentioned private payrolls surged by 275,000 in April. That blew past the estimates and the biggest gain since last July. Here are the main points here for you. Private payrolls grew by 275,000 last month, the biggest increase since July when they expanded by 284,000. Services providing jobs increased by 223,000 in April, led by a gain of 59,000 jobs in professional and business services. The job market is holding firm as businesses work hard to fill open positions. I've heard this from a lot of different business owners. I'd hire a couple of more people but I can't find people who want to work or can pass a drug test. That's the two things that they always say. The What's U- the uh, new regulations around the state of Arkansas going to do about passing a drug test? Now, that's going to be interesting. I'm, we're going to try to have some people on next week on uh, the power panel to talk about what they're going to do with people who have concealed carry licenses and whether they can carry concealed if they've got a medicinal marijuana card that's not been clarified yet so we're trying to get somebody from uh, you know bureau of uh, alcohol and tobacco and firearms and we're also hoping to get somebody from the state police to talk about it as well going back to the jobs market the u.s economy added far more jobs than expected in april as payrolls in the services sector grew by the most in more than two years. Private payrolls grew by 275,000 last month. That's the biggest increase since July of last year. 
Economists polled by Dow Jones expect a private payroll growth of 177,000. So there were more than 100,000 additional uh, payrolls added to that. Services providing jobs increased by 223,000 in April, led by a gain of 59,000 positions in professional and business services. Education and health services companies added 54,000 jobs, while employment within the leisure and hospitality industry expanded by 53,000 jobs. Goods producing jobs, which include construction, manufacturing, and mining, rose by 52,000 jobs, led by a 49 thousand dollar payroll increase in construction the economy added just five thousand manufacturing jobs while mining employment declined by about two thousand overall medium-sized businesses those that employ 50 to 499 people led the way in jobs creation last month by adding 145,000 jobs Jobs within small businesses, meanwhile, increased by 77,000, while large companies hired 53,000. Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, said the job market is holding firm as businesses work hard to fill open positions. The economic soft patch at the start of the year has not materially impacted hiring. April's job gains overstate the economy's strength, but they make the case that expansion continues on. Wednesday's report came after the Commerce Department said last week the economy grew by 3.2% in the first quarter on an annualized basis. That was the best start to a year since 2015. The official jobs report for April from the government gets released on Friday. So that's good news. Economy's doing well right now. So you gotta got to be happy with that. Here's an interesting story I came across that I think you'll find as interesting as I did. Walnut Hills High School announced last week that 17 of its students scored a perfect 36 on the ACT college admissions test. Things got a little easy, a little crazy about that. Jimmy Fallon joked about it on The Tonight Show. Social media blew up with congratulations and conspiracy theories, and text experts buzzed about what it all meant. But was it really that unusual? And the answer to that is yes, but maybe not as unusual as everyone first thought. Turns out the number of perfect ACT scores nationwide has more than doubled since 2015 and is six times higher today than it was eight years ago. In 2010, one of every 2,600 students nailed a perfect score. In 2018, it was one of every 500. Quote, there used to be a literal handful of students with a perfect score, said Bob Scheifer, public education director for the National Center for Fair and Open Testing. Now there are thousands. 
ACT officials say the test, which more than 1.9 million students took last year, hasn't changed in any meaningful way since 1989. Students armed with two, uh, with number two pencils, still get three anxious hours to answer multiple choice questions about math, English, science, and reading, and uh, that could help determine whether they get into their college of choice. The average test scores haven't changed much either. Those are hovered around 21 for at least the past five years. The scores at the top, however, have changed dramatically. At Walnut Hills, which is an elite public college preparatory school in Cincinnati, nine students posted perfect scores in 2018, and seven more have done it so far this year. A total of 17 juniors and seniors at the school currently boast perfect scores with one of those earned in 2017. Walnut prepared me very well, said Ray Conroy, one of the seniors who served the uh, score to 36. It's kind of encouraging to get good at test taking. Let me read that last sentence there. It's kind of encouraged to get good at test taking. So, if the test is essentially the same, why are so many more students acing it? The most likely answer is a booming test preparation industry that's built on the hopes and fears of students and parents who are willing to work and pay to get an edge. They, are, uh, they see the investment of a few hundred or even a few thousand dollars in a test prep program as worthwhile if it helps land their child at an Ivy League school or secures a big financial aid package. The stakes are absolutely real, says Mark Trace, CEO and founder of Torch Prep in Newport, which charges $1,700 for its comprehensive private test prep package. That package includes, among others, 16 hours of tutoring, a two-hour strategy session, and Torch Prep's code crackers to help navigate the test. Trey cited an email he got last week from the parents of one of the 7,000 students that used this program this year. They told him the student's recent four-point improvement on the ACT could make her eligible for as much as $100,000 in financial aid. 17 seemed a shocking number at first, but if any school is primed for over-the-top academics, it's Walnut Hill. Still, even for Walnut Hill, 17 perfect ACT scores is unusual. Since 08, Walnut students have earned a total of 32 perfect scores, which means half of those have come in the past 18 months. CPS has 12 other high schools not counting online programs, None of them has had a perfect score since the district started keeping track a decade ago. But there's, this is happening nationwide. In Kentucky, the number of perfect scores is nine times higher than it was in 2010. In California, it's 11 times higher. Trace said top students at high-achieving schools are driving up the number of top scores because they are more focused on the test and more dedicated to preparing for it. Now, as you listen to that, you keep 
hearing people talk about the test, the test, the test, the test. It's not about the knowledge. It's about how you take the test. So is the ACT the way that we should be out there making sure who gets financial aid and whatnot? Or should we be looking at uh, these kids taking these these uh, classes to be able to take a test better? So uh, students, uh, schools are on board, and, and, and schools are on board with more aggressive preparations because they increasingly are measured by student performance on standardized tests, and parents are well and all in because they see the financial benefits a higher score can bring them. Wow, it's kind of crazy. It says what you need to do, if you Google search for some variation of ACT and test prep, is a testament to that market shift. Ten must-know tips for the ACT. Expert ACT test prep help. ACT 36 in just seven steps. Test prep or the ACT, the other big college admissions test, also is booming. And top scores on that test appear to be rising as well. Although a major change in the SAT three years ago make measuring those numbers more uh, difficult. So it's not that kids are getting smarter. It's that the kids are getting smarter on how to take the test. And I just got to say, that's not what those tests are supposed to be telling colleges or the student themselves. It should be telling you how well you have the knowledge to handle the test, not how well you take the test. That's not good. 521 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I got more this half hour uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Mark Moreno is going to join us now from the uh, climatedepot.com. He is uh, the head honcho that takes care of their um, content. And we've had him on before. I wanted to get him on again because it's it's begun. It's something that I've talked to Russ about. I've talked to Zach about, my producers. And, and Mark, I, I said this, that when... They started running for the Democratic nomination for president. Everybody would be scrambling to go further left than everybody else. So we had AOC come out on the Green New Deal, and she said the earth as we know it is going to be gone in 12 years. Well, better Beto did her one better. He says now 10 years. I figure over the next, oh, I guess 14 months, uh, we can uh, maybe see that it's going to end tomorrow. What do you think? Well, this is a battle now. The Democrats, every major Democratic candidate, all like 72, however many there are, are all pandering now to the climate activist crowd. And they all believe that the millennials are going to pour out and vote because they're worried about their future and that we're somehow crushing it with you know a trace essential gas. So you're right. Beto comes out with a shorter tipping point than AOC, but oddly, his climate plan is 20-year longer time frame than AOC. So <laughs> he's basically saying the problem's worse, but we're going to do less about it. She's saying the problem's not as bad, but we're going to do more about it. 
and they're battling over it. But all Beto, by the way, all he's doing is a retread of President Obama's green energy stimulus bills, which except Obama only spent $90 billion. Remember when $90 billion was a lot of money? Now Beto wants to spend trillions yes. on renewable energy investments and in failed companies, and, and the billionaires like Elon Musk and others are going to be the recipients. Well, what do you think about all of these things that we're hearing? I mean, Pelosi says they're going to pass a, a climate change bill. Of course, the Senate will shoot it down in flames. But, you know, she wants, she's looking at mobilizing or using up to $5 trillion over 10 years. Is there any, number one, is, there, is that realistic? Number two, is it realistic to say that you're going to guarantee zero emissions by 2050? No, this is just pie in the sky. Anyone can stand up and say, I'm going to invent flying cars by 2040. And everyone's like, wow, and I'm, going to, I'm going to do it by 2035. I have a chart. I testified in front of a, a congressional hearing at the end of February, and I showed a chart that's from the U.S. federal government. And it's a global chart. In 19, about 1915, the energy mix, 80% of the world relied on fossil fuels. Fast forward 100 years, guess what the number changed to? 80% of the world relies on fossil fuels. <laughs> so somehow, if they're going to change the law of physics, economics, development, extraction, technology, all in the next you know, 10, 20, hey, I'm all for That sounds great if you can do it, but you can just announce anything. I'm going to be two feet taller in the future. I'm going to invent this. What they're really trying to do is they're just trying to spur development. That's one of their favorite words, spur innovation. They're just trying to come up with some visionary RFK, JFK type thing mm. that everyone's going to just you know, rally around and they're going to just make it happen to the sheer force of their will because it has to happen because mm. we face this alleged climate crisis. Yeah, I mean, you listen to them talk and it's like, listen to JFK back in the 60s, say we you know, we're going to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. You know, there's a big difference between having some stuff that you can draw on and having nothing that and everything that you're going to do is you're going to design it and uh, invent it over the next few years and then implement it over the next 10 years. Yeah, and so what they're doing, this is just straight-up pie-in-the-sky nonsense. And they're arguing. And what's even beyond this, I mean, it's one thing to start talk about emissions. When you have, you know, the, all of these are advocates of the U.N. Paris Agreement, which, by the way, if you go back to 2015, this U.N. Climate Agreement was supposed to save the world. We know this because every major leader announced that they had saved the world, patted themselves on the back. But guess what? They always want more. Suddenly, it's not enough, and now we have to save the world all over again. There's a whole new UN you know, treaty that they're clamoring for, making the, more restrictions. But when you have world leaders and you have politicians stand up and say, we need to make the Earth rise no more than 2 degrees Celsius, and then someone say, I, th I think it should be 1.5. I'll up you. I think we should only allow a 1 degree. I mean, these are people standing around, elected leaders, talking about 100 years from now or beyond and what they're going to dial into the Earth's temperature. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is, uh, you know, just it's the height of medieval witchcraft that's taken us all over here, despite the fact that we now have prominent scientists, including Nobel Prize winners, who are saying that carbon dioxide, not the control of the climate, and the most extreme nonsense is the extreme weather claims, you know, all the weather events. The hurricanes, the tour, everything's now worse. People can look out their living room windows. Extreme weather is declining 
on 50 to 100 year climb time scales. That includes drought. That includes every single metric. But yet they now want you to believe that every bad weather event is proof of man-made global warming. This has just become the realm of anti-science. And the problem is we don't have politicians strong enough to stand up to it on our side, on the conservative side or the Republican side. We only have Donald Trump, but even most of his cabinet is, is intimidated by this. Most U.S. senators don't want to deal with this issue, so it's, we're in a bad place. Well, you know, I think we're in a really bad place because the public school system has had yeah. years now to feed young minds this crap, and they believe it. Yes, I have a whole chapter in my book, Dave, in the Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, just on the indoctrination. And I go through, I actually testified at Common Core hearings where they want to teach kids that there's zero dissent, no debate, all scientists agree. Keep in mind, the all scientists agree memo was started back with Al Gore in the early 1990s, before we even had a climate debate. Mm-hmm. They've never had a debate. They will never allow a debate. And now they're claiming all, it's all settled. And the children are being taught that there is no future. March 15th, the United States contingent of high school and elementary school kids walked out of school to protest government inaction on the climate, uh, you know, because the government wasn't doing enough as if, you know, the government could legislate our weather. I mean, this is this is the witchcraft. We have a Harvard, a Princeton physicist who's with the Trump administration now, but he's 200 peer reviewed papers who said that not much has changed since the old witch trials, that most of the judges at the Salem witch trials were educated at Harvard University. And now, and they condemn women to death for changing the weather, and they blame crop failure on, on witches. They blamed uh, you know, the bad weather on witches. And now we have the same thing happening, some of our most educated elite in academia teaching children that their parents' SUVs are causing bad weather and crop failures. We have not advanced. That's what the Dr. Will Happer says over and over. We have not advanced since the witch trials. What about the average American? Have the numbers gone up on the, the average American who believes this stuff? Because I think of, of, of Goebbels, you know, the propaganda minister for Hitler, who said, you tell a big enough lie long enough, People will believe it. Have people started buying into this or have they totally bought into it? Short answer, yes, they have. And the polls I trust are Gallup and Pew. There's all kinds of other really just crappy polls out there that manipulate data and don't even, they use models and they use compute, internet estimates. But Gallup has been asking the question, are you concerned about global warming since 1989 to the American public? Mm-hmm. And it's been about 34%. And that number had not changed. It had fluctuated up and down, reached a high point with Gore's film in 2007, and then it dropped significantly after the Climate Gate scandal, where the UN scientists were shown to be colluding to create a climate narrative and suppressing journal editors and, and studies that were inconvenient. And then what's happened is, and here's the, here's the crutch Republican presidents. And politicians, no one pushes back on the climate science scare. Even when they had cap and trade, even the Green New Deal, they all talk about the economic costs. So now we have President Trump, who's the, you know, first of all, President Bush, both Bushes were a disaster. They rubber stamped the United Nations reports. They funded them. They sent delegations. They didn't challenge an ounce of it, right? We also have this thing called the Federal National Climate Reports. Every few years they come out. They're actually the last one Trump administration allowed, and it was written by Obama's chief negotiator for the UN Paris. It had activist scientists from left wing environmental groups writing it. So, 
This is the kind of stuff that Republican presidents allow. So to answer your question, yes, the public now is at a very high point, I think the highest in Gallup's history in terms of people being concerned about global warming. I think it might be adding over 50% now. This is including wow. Republican base, conservatives have remained skeptical, but where we're losing is in the sort of the, the independents in the middle who are now, because they're not hearing any official pushback, they hear gloom and doom, they hear politicians talking about, oh, we can't do it because it's too expensive, and all the official reports are, are promoting you know, end of the world doom because we've allowed it, we've funded it, we've encouraged the scientists to do it. And the only hope we have now in terms of turning that around is this presidential commission, which President Trump may or may not allow to be set up, which will have independent scientists examining United Nations science claims on down. Yeah, they need to be examined because they're actually bonkers. I mean, we've known it for a long time. It is totally, and we know it's bonkers. I have chapters in my book, first of all, on the science, and second of all, on what the United Nations has done to create this. The head of the climate science panel at the UN actually said, quote, global warming is my religion. This is the guy in charge of the science. We also know that another science, another executive at the UN climate panel, this is a science panel, by the way, has said we will redistribute wealth by climate policy. This isn't even environmental policy anymore. Now, what's happened is the UN put itself in charge of looking at whether carbon dioxide is, is, is causing a catastrophe. They have zero incentive to ever say, you know what, it's not causing a catastrophe, because then they lose the ability to be the ones in charge of the solution. I have the UN climate chief, a different one, also on record as saying, we seek, the United Nations, a centralized transformation that will make life on planet Earth very different for everyone. Mm. So in other words, we face a catastrophe, according to them, and the only way we can be saved is global governance and central planning and massive economic uh, you know, uh, takeover of the economy. That's it. That's their solution. Yeah, it sounds like AOC would love that. By the way, yeah, can you talk to yeah. just for the last few moments I have you, uh, Mark, about this whole thing of teaching people that CO2 is carbon pollution? Yes, this is it's very frustrating because even uh, you know, the outlets that try to you know, be more fair get this wrong. They'll call it carbon pollution, which sort of conjures up the idea of uh, of uh, black soot in the atmosphere, whereas carbon dioxide is a trace essential gas in the atmosphere. Humans inhale oxygen, we exhale uh, carbon dioxide, and it's it's carbon is not CO two is not pollution, and it's uh, it's it's something that they've done for a long time. Al Gore's gotten away with this, calling it pollution. And it's very hard to fight back against because most people don't understand the science behind it, don't understand photosynthesis, don't understand uh, why carbon dioxide is not in any way, shape, or form a pollutant. If you're going to call carbon dioxide a pollutant, call water a pollutant because you know your garden hose, your swimming pool, your shower, water vapor is a much more potent gas that can warm the atmosphere. Why wouldn't we be banning that? And we've had scientists mocking the concept by asking that question. Why don't we ban water vapor because if we're concerned about alleged global warming? Yeah, why should we be worried about CO2? It seems to me from my education I have, if you go back in time, during uh, the early years of the earth, the more CO2, the better vegetation and the bigger crops grew. Yes. In fact, I, in, in my, actually, if you go to Clem Depot, the top story is about 
I was on Fox and Friends yesterday, and then uh, the uh, Newsweek magazine went nuts because I said CO2 wasn't pollution. Well, one of the things I actually included in my rebuttal was NASA studies showing a massive greening of the Earth in the last several decades due to rising CO2 from burning of fossil fuels. So, and, and the thing is, it's not like there's no, there's, there has not been a downside. We have radically improved our air and water quality while growing our economy and increasing our population since 1970. So we've got it down. We know how to do carbon-based fuels with booming economy without pollution, without traditional pollution that you would worry about. And yeah, and also we have I have scientists here, former United Nations scientists, who say you wouldn't even notice the temperature difference in the last hundred years if we didn't have modern instrumentation. In other words, if you look at the, it's a one degree Celsius temperature rise in the last hundred years that they're all bent out of shape about. You could look at that on a chart, and if you have the different scale, it looks like a straight line. There really is no significant change. Where they get the scare is, and, and this is true of polar bears. Polar bears, they warned about Al Gore in his film, 2006. He never once mentioned it in his sequel two years ago. Do you know why? Because polar bears' numbers have skyrocketed. They're at historic population highs. They've never counted this many polar bears. But you know what they'll stay stay in the media? The polar bear problem's worse. How? The numbers are at record levels. How could it be worse? Because our prediction of the future 100 years from now is much worse than it was 10 years ago. They always get you on that misdirection. We've had, we've had cooling now going on three and a half years on temperatures. You know how the media and the scientists reported, the activist scientists? Climate the temperatures are getting more dire. In eight, paragraph eight, the temperatures dropped the last three years. But our predictions now of 10 or 50 years in the future are much higher. So a prediction becomes evidence and a prediction becomes misdirection of what's actually happening currently. Yeah, I've been, you know, I enjoy watching a lot of this stuff happening because I have a Newsweek magazine from back in the late 60s that says the coming ice age. Uh, on it on yes. the cover and that's what they were teaching us in high school in our science classes and now they're teaching how you know the temperature is going up but they went from calling it you know global cooling to global warming and now they just call it climate change climatedepot.com is his website mark moreno thank you for the time i'll let you go i know you got other things you got to get to i appreciate you joining us here in little rock Hey, no problem. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye now. All right, Mark Moreno here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I hope that shed shed a little light on the BS that's being spread on planet Earth. All right, so there was a real bombshell that landed at the uh, uh, bar uh, meeting today in the Senate. And oh, by the way, the big the big bomb that's gone off since is that Barr says he ain't coming to the House. He's not going to testify tomorrow, and the reason being is that uh, the uh, House members, uh, because like most politicians, don't know squat about the law in many cases, even though the lawyers, they want their uh, staff members uh, that have uh, big degrees to question Barr, and Barr says. Hey, I'll let uh, the the main people question me all day long, but you know your flunkies ain't going to test are not going to sit and, and question me. You know, I, I don't know what kind of decorum or anything that we're going to have, so I ain't coming if you're going to do that. And they said, "Well, we're going to do that," and he said, "Then I ain't coming." So if you were hoping to get another six hours of Fox tomorrow uh, on the um, you know the House meeting. 
uh, with Barr. It ain't happening. But the other thing that came up was that there were some questions being asked about the Steele dossier and that it was a foreign uh, person who put this together and they put it together with the help of Russians. And uh, the question was being asked, was he concerned that this had occurred? And he said, yes. Attorney General William Barr said today he is reviewing whether the infamous Steele dossier was a product of Russian disinformation. So it may not be that it was somebody else, but uh, it wasn't uh, us. For example... We've heard a lot about the Steele dossier. Um, Mr. Steele, of course, is a former British intelligence officer hired by uh, to do opposition research uh, by the Hillary Clinton campaign on um, on her political adversaries, and the including uh, President Trump or candidate Trump at that time. How do we know that the Steele dossier is not itself evidence of Russian disinformation campaign, knowing what we know now that Basically, the allegations made in, therein were secondhand, hearsay, or unverified. Can we uh, state with confidence that the, Russian, that the Steele dossier was not part of the Russian disinformation campaign? No, I can't state that with confidence, and, and that is one of the uh, areas that I'm reviewing. Uh, I'm concerned about it and, it, and and I don't think it's entirely speculative. All right, so if the dossier, here's the key on this. If the dossier was indeed the product of disinformation, it would mark a significant twist in this whole Russian probe. The Democratic National Committee and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton campaign financed the dossier, which former British spies you just heard Christopher Steele wrote. Now, that dossier, which Steele provided to the FBI as well as to the reporters, has served as a roadmap of sorts uh, for the conspiracy theory that President Donald Trump and members of his campaign colluded with Russia. Now, the special counsel said in a report of his 22-month investigation that there was no evidence that members of the Trump campaign conspired with Russians to interfere in the 2016 campaign. Mueller was also unable to establish that Trump associates acted as agents of Russia. The report said former Trump attorney Michael Cohen did not visit Prague, as Steele had claimed. The former British spy who relied on who? Russian sources and others who claimed to have links to the Trump campaign claimed that Cohen visited the European city in order to meet with Kremlin insiders to discuss paying off computer hackers. Steele also made the salacious allegations that the Kremlin has a blackmail video of Trump with Russian prostitutes in Moscow in 2013. No evidence of that video has ever surfaced. The Mueller report cites one witness who claimed to have heard a rumor about a tape of Trump that they believe to be false. Mueller's findings have led to additional scrutiny that Steele, a former MI6 officer who worked in Moscow, was uh, provided with disinformation from his Russian sources.
Daniel Hoffman, a former CIA station chief who worked in Russia, has said he believes the dossier was a disinformation tool used by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Hoffman wrote in the Wall Street Journal in January of 2018 that it was possible Russians who hacked Democrats' computer networks learned about Steele's efforts to investigate Trump and they then decided to plant false information. Hoffman recently told the Daily Caller News Foundation he hopes that U.S. intelligence officials are conducting a counterintelligence investigation into the origins of the dossier. Steele was hired by opposition research firm Fusion GPS in April of 2016 to investigate Trump's ties to Russia. He has acknowledged in court depositions that he could have been fed disinformation by his Russian sources, but he claimed he was trained to spot such efforts. But when you're paying, being paid big money by Hillary Clinton and the DNC, man, you'll give them anything, and you'll even feed it through a former United States senator who was a prisoner of war in, ha- in Hanoi. That's right. That's the way it worked. All right. There's more to this, and it's turning and starting to go towards different people and not the president. A break, and then we'll finish up today on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Got about two and a half minutes left here. Democratic Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar stated today, American policies have been the catalyst for the armed conflict that tore through the Venezuelan capital of Caracas. Rather than blaming socialist dictator Nicolas Maduro. Quote, you know, I mean, a lot of the policies that we've put in place has kind of helped lead the devastation of Venezuela, Omar said, while on the progressive show Democracy Now!, We've sort of set the stage for where we're arriving today. Now listen to this. Venezuelan interim president, uh, Guaido, who is fighting to gain control of the country, called for a military uprising against Maduro in an operation titled Operation Liberty. Venezuelans have been protesting against Maduro for months, and the U.S. has declared support for what Omar referred to as quote, a regime change because the U.S. has said that Guaido looks like he is the legitimate president because there's a whole kinds of red flags from that uh, 2018 election. And most other Western nations agree with the president. The only two major nations, three major nations that don't are Turkey, China, and Russia. Now, who are you going to believe? Most other Western nations also declared Guaido to be the legitimate leader of Venezuela after uh, we watched that 2018 election. Quote, this particular, and this is going back now to Omar, this particular bullying and the use of sanctions to eventually intervene and make regime change really does not help the people of countries like Venezuela, she continued, Uh, It certainly does not help and is not in the interest of the United States. 
Now, interestingly, though she says that, which boycott does she support? I wish I had uh, my uh, Jeopardy music right now. What what boycott do you think that they love, uh, that she loves there, uh, Russ? You want to take a guess? I have uh, – who am I uh, – run that by me one more yeah, time. Omar. Omar says we shouldn't have had – you know, all the boycotts that we had against Venezuela because that did nothing but take them to the point that they're at now. We shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. We shouldn't be bullying people. But uh, she, though she condemns our use of sanctions. I don't know who she who, who she's talking about boycotting. Yeah, Venezuela. Or what she's talking about, rather. Well, we've, we've tightened the screws on them so they can't sell some of their oil and things of that nature. Well, here's the key, though. She's been extremely vocal in her support of sanctioning Israel through the uh, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Spoken like a true Arab. All right, we'll take a break till 2 o'clock tomorrow. See you then. Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.